Welcome back to the Fifth and Long Podcast, brought to you by myself, Patrick DeMar, and Paul, the Commissioner Kayshak. A lot to talk about this week, a very media episode. Started off with some college football talk, um, essentially giving our arguments for and against Florida State being left out of the top four released by the committee this week. We also covered plenty of NFL topics from this past week. Lots to go over there. Um, some huge results this week that factored into um, playoff implications and whatnot. <clears throat> we give a little bit of a look ahead to next week as well. And of course, we break it down with some fantasy football stuff also. A um, lot of heavy discussions in this podcast. Paul and I put a lot of work into it, and uh, we've been getting some solid feedback from the listeners as well. So if you're enjoying listening to us, we hope you continue to do so. We hope you love the episode. Don't be afraid to leave us some feedback. You can follow us on Instagram at fifth and long pod. That's F I F T H and long pod. And we'll be on Twitter and YouTube coming soon as well. Um, be on the lookout for this episode to be published live on YouTube. You can watch it in its entirety, front to back, without any edits. So, yeah, man. Sit back, relax, grab a cold beverage of your choice, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Fifth and Long Podcast. All right. Back with Kamish talking some college football playoff stuff to start. Um, crazy top four reveal. That was must-watch TV. I was locked into that. I was sitting on my couch uh, eagerly awaiting um, the pitchforks and, and um, torches that were outside of wherever the, the college football playoff committee was holding their meeting beforehand, probably in a bomb shelter. Um, <laughs> those guys are. Yeah, you're right. Seriously. Um, but a crazy top four, very polarizing the reaction from it. Of course, we all know by now Florida state left out of the top four. Uh, they were ranked fifth by the committee. Uh, Alabama got the edge over them in the fourth spot. Then we also had Texas in the three Washington in the two and Michigan had the first place spot. What was your immediate reaction? You you and I were texting a lot leading up to that, and we even did a short pod about it briefly last week. So we both sort of expected the result. But still, when it actually happened, what was your immediate gut feeling? Immediate gut feeling was that the committee actually got it right. I, I thought that Alabama was definitely the more deserving team over Florida State. That was obviously the big uh, the controversial spot that was up for grabs. I thought, you know, you beat Georgia, the number one or former number one team in the country. I didn't really think that there, there was going to be um, any controversy when it came to if Alabama would be in or not. My secondary reaction was that what I have been saying now for a couple of weeks when we're talking college football on this podcast uh, was actually wrong. I was saying that the committee was going to take, if it came down to it between Bama and Texas, they would take Bama over Texas. That clearly seems to have not been the case just because Texas is seated higher than Alabama here. So those are the first two things that jumped off the off the plate to me. Uh, I thought I still think Texas and Bama should be flip flop despite the head to head. I know I'm a little bit um, out there with with that take, but by and large, I know there are a lot of people with the pitch force about Florida State. Uh, I think that people are just looking to get up in arms about something. I mean, no matter what four teams were selected for this you know somebody was going to have a problem with it and voice their opinion but i i think 
in that sense in keeping Florida State out, the committee got it right. Did this feel like a live viewing of the ACC's funeral to you in some ways? <laughs> because if you were scrolling through Twitter afterwards, that's what people were saying. I, I So many schools that weren't even relevant as far as the top four goes were in up in arms about Florida State being left out. ACC schools, I mean. Uh, it's tough for me to say that this was the ACC's funeral when we see what's going on uh, across the country in the Pac-12 and, and that conference has literally been dissipated. I mean, it, all, all it has now is Oregon State and Washington State with this whole realignment. I mean, that that's the conference that's actually being laid down in a casket, but for different reasons. Um, you know, the ACC has fallen on a little bit of tough times when it comes to the football sense now that Clemson has kind of fallen from that that top level of power that they were at when Trevor Lawrence was there and they were competing with Alabama every year. Um, I, I don't think that this is a funeral for the ACC per se when, when it comes to football. I think that they just need to, I mean, they just need to breed better talent right now. I think that, you know, their schedules, they can, some of their top teams just need to play a little bit of a tougher schedule when it comes down to it. We'll talk about Florida state's the schedule and I, and how I think it played a factor in a little bit here, but well, let's talk about it's, uh, it. Let, let's talk about it. If if Travis is is healthy, do you think they've got a good enough resume to get in anyways? So if Jordan Travis is healthy, I think that. So just based on resume alone, I don't think that the Jordan Travis injury played a factor where I think that Jordan Travis being healthy could have um, pushed Florida State in is if they would have beaten down Louisville in the ACC championship game, like by a wider margin. I think Jordan, if Jordan Travis was healthy, it would have given Florida state the chance to really demolish Louisville, like, you know, something like a 38 10 or, or, or some sort of game like that. Right. But I think that the fact that that game was, what was it like 13 to six or some real stinker like that, that gave the, uh, that was the nail in the coffin for the committee that this 16 was to a six. clunker. 16 to six, 16 just because to six. They, they didn't look dominant. I think that that was the final nail in the coffin and what pushed the committee over the edge to say that this is probably not one of the four best teams in the country. I think if Jordan Travis is there, that game probably turns out differently and it makes the committee's chance or makes the committee's decision much more difficult. I still think that Florida State is not one of the four best teams in the country and should not go to the college football playoff, even if Jordan Travis had had stayed healthy throughout the year. I mean, they struggled with teams like Miami, took a fourth quarter comeback against Duke. They only beat Boston College by two points this year. I mean, they were struggling with subpar ACC teams, even with Jordan Travis. For me, it didn't make a difference, but I think it could have made a difference in that last game against Louisville. Maybe, maybe not. That would have uh, that would have swayed some committee members. Well, the part of the commentary after the rankings were revealed was I saw some folks on Twitter saying that this was basically like a legalization of putting bounties on top players from top teams. And to a certain extent, I mean, when the committee has language in how they rank teams that brings up possible injuries and missing top players, I feel like I'm not saying that's like, nobody's going to actually use that strategy. But at the same time, like you kind of have to look at it. And it, when it's black and white like that, you it's a weird situation, man. I like 
I've never heard of that happening before in other sports. First of all, we don't really have many other sports like college football where who goes in and who doesn't is based on a vote. Um, the NCAA tournament kind of works like that, but there's more games being played and there's enough qualification processes in place. And there's so many different conferences. They kind of embrace the randomness of it all that it doesn't, it's not quite as big of a deal. You're selecting what 68 teams versus four. <laughs> so I don't know. I just don't see like, I don't see like a Duke or a Kansas or a UCLA or Kentucky even getting snubbed from a tournament just because they're missing their, their star point guard or whoever. Um, it's weird. Uh, that's not a bad, that's not a great comparison, but at the same time, like what, what else do you compare it to? It's, it's a little bit tough to compare college basketball and college football, just because there, you know, there's more than double the teams or just about double the teams in division one college basketball that are, are fighting for a spot in the NCAA tournament, as opposed to division one college football. And, you know, just the sheer number of teams that make the NCAA tournament is wildly different. The fact that there are, are more conferences, there are more teams in general, and NCAA leads to wider gaps between conference to conference. But I think like the, the ACC, there was such a gap this year between the other major conferences. And I thought that there was such a major gap in Florida State's strength of schedule. Florida State, of the teams that were in question, they had, according to powerrankingsguru.com, so ranks the the strength of schedule based on what the average rank of the team that you played through, um, throughout the year. So they'll they'll take the the rankings of all the teams that you played and then, you know, average amount, divide them by 12, 13, depending on how many games you played. Florida State graded out as the easiest schedule among the, the teams fighting for a spot. They were 55th toughest schedule according to this metric. Michigan 51st, Georgia 45th, Washington 8th, Bama 6th, and Texas 2nd. Like, I, you can't you can't compare the SEC and the ACC right now. I, I just don't. I just don't think you can. Like if if you put Georgia or Alabama in Florida State's shoes and you put them in their schedule, I think they're running the table and going thirteen and zero themselves. Okay, so let me let me flip this again on you though. Let's say, let's say in the Michigan Ohio State game, um, JJ McCarthy tears his ACL and he's done. Right, similar, exact same record, real similar strength of schedule. He's not as crucial of a player for them uh, than Travis was, but do you think would the same thing happen or would Michigan would still probably make it in, right? I think Michigan would still make it in. It would be a, I think it'd be a little bit of a tougher argument, but I still think that Michigan's body of work is better than Florida state's too. That's like what I think people are overlooking where let's take a look at, you know, Michigan, they have a, a win over Ohio State, who is a top 10 team. They also have a win over Penn State, who's a top 10 team. Florida State's best win is over number 13 LSU. Like I, I still think that the the level of quality of Michigan's best wins this year make their resume better than Florida State. So even if you take out both teams' quarterbacks, that's enough. That's why, like I'm saying, that I don't think that this I, I don't think that Florida State was let out solely or even primarily because Jordan Travis got hurt I think it played a little bit of a factor and but more so just because I don't think that they were able to to look as impressive and dominate teams in the final week or two like that game against Louisville I so feel, yes I still think Michigan would be in if, if McCarthy got hurt per se 
Okay. I, I kind of feel like this was something the committee might have leaned towards had he been healthy, but they wouldn't have pulled the trigger on it. I think him having the injury gave them enough conviction to say, yes, this is, this is the right answer. We don't have to think twice about it. I don't think there was really much of a discussion. They had them at fifth, but I really think like they, when, when Bama beat Georgia, they knew who the fourth team was going to be. I think, I don't think there was any doubt whatsoever. Um, you and I sort of, you mentioned earlier that you might've had um, Georgia in over Texas possibly, which I think is kind of a wild argument. I mean, we were talking about best wins. Georgia's best win is against Mizzou this year, who's ranked ninth. All the other teams that made the playoffs beat someone that was in that top eight or higher. So from Oregon, um, uh, Ohio State, and then you also had uh, Georgia, who lost to, to Bama, uh, Bama, who lost to Texas, and so on. Well, Texas, who beat Bama, Bama, who beat Georgia, Washington beat Oregon. Michigan beat Ohio state. All those teams are top seven teams. Uh, Georgia didn't have a win like that on their resume. Ultimately though, for me, this decision coupled with the transfer portal opening, the timing of it is just like for college football purists, it was, it was like a Wolverine punch to the stomach, (laughs) like four blades right here. Like kids are, are leaving schools for for millions of dollars schools that they they get opportunities from where they're coming to uh from from programs that you've never heard of um you've got guys that are sitting out whole seasons and and making money off of communities and and colleges and then leaving for other schools and whatnot and then you've got florida state getting snubbed here um it's a tv show man college football is a tv show it's all about making money for the schools and the schools involved in this and uh, it's sad a little bit, you know, it's the entertainment value. That's, that's just kind of the nature of it. And you can't disagree with it. It's a business and that's how it has to be in order for it to be fair nowadays. But I feel like there's a better way to go about it. And you can keep adding teams that make the playoffs. You can add, you can make it 12 teams. You can make it 16 or 42, 64, whatever. Someone's going to get snubbed still at the end of the day. And um, like, if you look at this situation, if we did have a 12-team playoff, would, would Liberty have made the playoff? An uh, undefeated team who won their conference championship? No, probably not, because who cares about Liberty? Not, no offense to the people there. I actually have a friend who's on their coaching staff. Uh, shout out Slade Carroll, former baseball teammate of mine. But um, it's a bigger argument where it's almost like, a boys club now where, where you have to be in this select group or else you're going to get stiff armed out of it. And um, it's a sad state for me for college football because it, I mean, FSU, they earned their way into it. I don't think we've had this happen before where a team it's never happened before actually where a power five team won their conference championship, had an unbeaten season and didn't make it into the playoff. It's a small sample size, but it still means something. Even if they came from a weak conference, that's a bit, that's, that's an accomplishment. Even if you, especially if you finished it without your starter or your backup quarterback, you had to use your third stringer for it. I know they played Louisville. It's not a great team. It wasn't a great game to watch, but they still did the damn thing, you know? Not every 13 and 0 is created equal. And, and But how many 13 and 0s are there? But, but 
okay, this is the way this is the way I look at it. I alluded to it a little bit earlier in the podcast. If Georgia plays Florida State schedule, if Alabama plays Florida State schedule, they are going 13 and0. There is no doubt in my mind that they are running the table and going 13 and0. So I don't those teams like can't Florida State should not be able to benefit from that because they played a weaker schedule. Okay, I mean, the only team that 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 Florida State played that was comparable to a team that you would see in the meat of a Georgia or Alabama schedule was was LSU. Now Georgia didn't play LSU this year, but Bama Bama beat them routinely as well, beat them by two so touchdowns. It's, it's their fault that the teams in their conference suck. That's just incentivizing them to to leave and join the 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 SEC or the the Big Ten. They should. They should. If, if they, it's if their they only want, choice wanna, now. It's their only if they choice. College championships. They should join an SEC because that's going to give them a better chance to do it because that's where the best teams are. But yeah, they, well, they sh- they shouldn't be punished because the other teams and in, in their conference aren't that good, but they shouldn't be rewarded for it either. You know? Yeah, I just like don't get me wrong. I I would have left them out. I wouldn't have put them in the top four. I'm not I'm not saying I would have, and it probably would have been for the same reason. Honestly, like I don't see this FSU team beating uh i don't see them beating georgia who was ranked below them i don't see them beating any of the teams that were ranked ahead of them they probably i don't know maybe ohio state is a good game uh oregon i think would beat them but it's just it's not it's not fair in terms of like what you expect from the results of the sport and accomplishing things and i've seen real actual football because they're 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 in a team, they're in a conference historically that the precedent has been set. You go undefeated in this conference, you win the conference, you get to go to the playoffs over other teams that don't, that didn't do that. It's just the simplicity of that. You're leaving them out ju- like, okay, you're leaving them out, whether or not it was because of the quarterback uh, being out or not, which that was a big part of the reason why. Um you can't you can't use past history of what the ACC's been in years past to justify making a decision this year. No, but they've set precedents for other things and used it for selections before. Is what I'm saying. This is the first time we've seen them set the precedent of if the if if X happens, if they don't have this guy available, we can take them out because people would rather watch the other guy. Well, see, I think that that's like where we're still at a little bit of an impasse here is I don't think that that I I still think if Jordan Travis is in there, that they're leaving him out. I I just don't I don't think their resume is impressive enough with or without it. I I do. I don't think they shouldn't be above Georgia. I don't think that they should be above Ohio State. Okay, I like Ohio State's only loss is to the number one team in the country. I don't think that they should be above Oregon. Personally, Oregon's only two losses on the year to the number two team in the country. That's my opinion there. I don't I don't feel as strongly that the Jordan Travis injury kept Florida State out. I just don't think that their body of work was enough. I'm trying to be the voice of the people, Kamish. All right. I, that's that's fair. And and a lot of people agree, a lot of people agree with you. I, I'm not I even get... saying I'm in that camp. Like I said, my top four probably would have been the exact same. I was happy when that was the decision they made. I'm just being mm. more empathetic to the situation of the Seminoles, you know? I mean, you, you feel for them because it's like given the schedule that they had they they couldn't do anymore but like you mentioned liberty like liberty couldn't do anymore you know i mean i i i'm getting tired of, of 
of people out there. I know that you're just voicing the opinion of the public, but I'm getting tired of hearing like the phrase, well, the results have to matter. Well, they do. I, I, I mean, the, the Alabama result over Georgia had to matter. You know, if you put Florida State in over there, you know, you're saying that Alabama, like you can make just as much of an argument. Well, does the SEC championship not matter then that, that Alabama wins it and they still don't get in? Like you're going to be able to make that argument no matter who won or lost and who got in. It just boils down to your strength of schedule, who you beat, and I, that's the, the committee goes off of that for how strong of a team you are and how deserving you are. No problem leaving Florida State off. That's I, I don't know how you know how else to say that, but you know people are going to make a, a great no matter what, and you know you, you can't help that I guess. Our top four: we have Michigan, Washington, Texas, Bama. Two great games. I'm excited for both. Um, if you had to pick your title favorite right now, who would you go with? Because I, I think I know where I'm going to go. This is tough. Um, actually, the, the one thing I might have alluded to it earlier that I, I didn't touch on, that it was a small thing that I, I had a problem with, but um, I think Washington should be the number one team in the country. I, I like Washington's resume more than Michigan's. They've got the two wins over Oregon, two top 10 teams there. Strength of schedule is much more difficult than than Michigan's this year. I think Washington should be the real number one team in the country. I got them winning it all this year. As of right now, you can check back in with me in a week or two. I might change my mind. But who you got? I'm roll damn tied, man. I can't believe it. But Nick Saban and his voodoo magic, I just can't like bet against it. I can't. And Milrow, I he just plays with enough heart to where I like it reminds me sort of of Penix or like the, the gravitas of how he plays the feel for the moment, making things happen, putting his team on his back. I mean, the, the conversation about Bama the first month of the season was who the hell is this team's quarterback? They don't have one. This guy steps in and he leads them to an sec championship, like steals their season away from the jaws of death with a fourth in Fourth in 31. Tuscaloosa. Fourth and 31. <laughs> Freaking ridiculous, man. That's one of the most unreal plays I've ever seen, even for an Iron Bowl, where we've seen plenty of drama throughout the years. Um, Michigan, Alabama, I think is going to be a phenomenal game. Harbaugh saving the, the shock and entertainment value of that is going to be through the roof. ESPN, you're going to hear them talking about that and those two guys all week leading up to that game. So much so, I feel like Texas. Uh, Washington won't get enough coverage because that's going to be a damn good game too. I think you're on it with Washington. I'll have, I would have Washington Bama in the final. Um, but I think the physicality of Bama and their speed in the secondary is going to be able to match up with Washington eventually. And, and ultimately I've, I've got the tide winning it all. I think the FCC um, keeps, keeps the national title in the conference. You, do you think that should be taken into account, by the way, going back to how much different of a team Alabama is now where they they were a shell of themselves early in the year and when they had their only loss before they had really figured out what they're doing at the quarterback position? I mean, they're, don't you think that the way that they played lately is, is much more indicative of who they are? And if, if you look at just the back half of the season, like there's no discussion to be had. Do you, do you look at it that way as well? Or you take that into consideration, even when you're evaluating like Texas per se, because Texas is when, yes, they have a win over Alabama, but that's not like the real 
Alabama that we're going to see on New Year's and and potentially in a in a championship game. What I would say is that it comes down to coaching and developing players and having an understanding for the strengths and weaknesses of the guys that you feel the most confident and comfortable with and how you can accentuate those skills or highlight them in order to benefit and maximize the output of your team. That's what Saban's been able to do throughout the course of the year. The growing pains in the first month uh, through Tyler Buckner, who's now going to go play lacrosse at Notre Dame, <laughs> and Jalen Miller. That was the problem. You had a lacrosse player at quarterback. <laughs> um, and that's not a, a, a diss to, to Buckner. He was, he was great, actually, in Notre Dame before he came to Alabama, uh, the former quarterback um, for the Irish. Beat our Gamecocks in the bowl game last year. Um, tough to bring that up. But no, I don't think you should take that into account or hold it against Bama. I think or Texas for that matter, because you're still beating Alabama. You're still beating Nick Saban. That's a hell of a coaching win. That's it's not something you were able to do the year before um, because uh, Quinn Ewers took that injury. They might have done it had Ewers stayed healthy. Honestly, they, they were on pace to do so in that game uh, a couple of years back. So I don't take it into much consideration. No, I think um, it's a testament to what Saban is able to do and um, the belief that the players there have in him and, and have in the system there and the effectiveness of that system, not to go full like Bill Belichick Patriots fan, but I mean, you can't argue with the success he's had since taking over there. And the conversation that in that month as well was like, I think I remember after Texas lost, how many people were calling for Saban's head in some ways saying like, this is the beginning of the end. After Bama lost, right. I mean, after yeah. Bama lost to Texas, people were saying that was the beginning of the end. I don't hear anybody saying that now. So yeah, I'm, I'm rolling with Bama, man. I think it's going to be a really exciting playoff. All the games will be great. I think each team has a legit shot. Texas is probably the overall underdog. If you had to choose one, um, but we'll see what happens. You got to play the games. Yeah, it's tough. It's, it, it, I mean, the, these are, these are our four pretty equal teams, which that are going to get good viewership all around, which I, I don't think that we could have said if uh, Florida state, not that Florida state doesn't draw a crowd, but, but I think, you know, if Florida state was in here, you know, we would be talking about a clear drop off between the, whoever the other three would be in them. So just the fact that we do have Bama in here, along with Texas, Washington, Michigan, and not a Florida State, that that creates the added excitement because because like I really can't tell who the who the best team is. I, I can't tell who I think the best squad is. And you seem confident in Bama yourself, but like I don't think that you're like, oh, Bama's a slam dunk. You know what I'm saying? No. So I, I th kind of think whoever wins that game is going to win it, though. To right. be honest, I, that could be. I mean, well, I'm going Washington, but like I could I could completely understand your thought process on that one just you know because michigan's michigan's been dominant all year as well and and, and bama's playing their best ball right now but um wild. man some good cfp stuff we got to keep this going um closer to those games i'm excited for for whatever national ch championship preview we we may have um Jaden daniels for heisman yeah yeah, that's what the uh, that's what the betting market seems to suggest. I think he's like minus a thousand or or, or something crazy. Uh, he had like I 50 think, total touchdowns or something. Yeah, I don't know his stat line off the top of my head. I think that he 
benefited from the fact that neither Bo Nix or Michael Penix really dazzled in the Pac-12 championship game. I think that they were both solid. They made a couple plays here or there. Um, and I'm pretty sure each of them threw an interception or responsible for a turnover. Like no one had a Heisman moment, you know, you know what I'm saying? And so neither one of those guys were really able to take hold of the race. And I think Daniels had a slight edge on both of them going into that. So I think he's going to, he's going to win this one. Kirk Herbstreit called this on college game day, like four weeks ago. I got to give him, give him credit. He said it's a slam dunk, no doubt like three or four weeks ago. So credit to Kirk. Daniels is pretty incredible to watch. I will say, uh, I think, Caleb Williams not even being in the uh, – he's not even in the top four, is, is he? No, Marvin Harrison's the other guy that that we haven't mentioned yet. Who's, See, that's who's pretty crazy. Yeah. That makes me wonder if – I know he's already skipping the bowl game. Like, he's going into the draft. But I wonder if there's a little bit of fire to the smoke that we heard earlier in the year where we heard he might go back and and take another year of school if he feels like the fit isn't right. Oh, I hadn't even heard that. I've, I don't, you mean just, you mean, what do you mean if the fit's not right, where he thinks that he's going to land? Uh, I mean, among yeah, I mean, people NFL project him to be the, the top pick. Like, theoretically, he could look at who the number one pick is and say, I don't want to go there, which has actually happened before. Eli Manning did that. Um, Eli Manning did that when he was originally drafted with the Chargers, was able to force a trade to the Giants, which is how the Chargers got Phillip Rivers, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, well, that's what happened. I thought that trade was more facilitated by his dad, um, Archie, but um, I can't recall. The best quarterback of that draft class was taken 11th overall that year anyway, Big Ben. So um, <laughs> shout out. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I do remember that. But like the the difference with that is like Manning was still in that draft class. You know, like he was still drafted. He just got traded right. immediately. Your situation here that you're talking about is Marvin Harrison just completely going back Caleb to Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams. I'm sorry. I thought we were talking about Marvin Harrison. Um, I have heard that about Caleb Williams. Uh, it's the power of NIL. Like you were talking about, I mean, these guys are, are making so much money now and it's, it's become such a business where they have that ability to do that. I, I think it's giving them a little bit more power than, than is, but I don't know. Um, that's why I think it's like okay that the NCAA or the committee might have made a business decision on leaving Florida State out because of viewership, because players are making business decisions to not play in bowl games per se, or you know, go to the NFL draft, not go to the NFL draft. They're using their brand in college now for their business. So I like I see it's okay for the NCAA to do that. I don't know. I think that like a guy like Caleb Williams or like another college athlete that might be considering doing the same thing might just be playing with fire you never know what, what might happen with injuries the following year maybe you just don't have as strong of an output you fall a little bit in the draft i think it's it's a it's a privilege to be drafted by an nfl team and you know i don't think it's something to, to scoff at and, and take lightly not that they're necessarily doing that by going back to school but it, it doesn't have the same aura or mystique that it that it did before nil you know well my only concern really with caleb as a concerned Patriots fan who may or may not end up having a number one overall pick at the end of the year, fingers crossed. I just keep thinking about that shot of him after I forget who they were playing. It might've been Oregon where after the game, when they lost, or maybe it was Washington. I think it was the game against Washington after they lost the shot of him in the stands crying in his mom's arms. Um, 
that's not going to go over well in Foxborough. I can't, no. I can assure you that. <laughs> no, when 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 we're going like four and thirteen next year or something like that, and and he has nobody to throw the ball to, nobody to block for him. If he's crying on the sidelines, that's that's the only thing I'm worried about. Um, Mac was not able to deal with whatever adversity came his way at any point in any game. So whoever we need, we bring in afterwards needs to be better at that. Um, I'll just well, you leave. Hope, you hope this year, though, for Caleb Williams, and we've kind of gone off on a little bit of tangent and talked about him, but, I mean, he's, you know, one of the top quarterback prospects in, in recent history, so he's worth it. You hope that a year like this where Southern Cal had high expectations, maybe even college football playoff expectations, and it didn't turn out that way, and it was a very trying year in terms of the win-loss record for them, you hope that that builds character for him and helps prepare him for the next level because you will not roll through everybody and, and win every game. You will face tough times no matter who you are, no matter how talented you are as a quarterback. You will face adversity, and the, the playing field is never more level than it is in the NFL. So you just you got to hope that it builds his character in college and, and, and perhaps him for, for a tough spot, maybe like, like in New England. Yeah, if, if I had my pick, I would – I mean, I, I would love to get him. Any quarterback would be great right now, but I've said this before. We we have so many more holes on our team. It's not going to take one, one draft class, one offseason to fix it. Moving on to some NFL stuff. Um, let's start with the headliners. San Francisco, Philadelphia. This was the game that everybody was hyping up all week. And it was a rematch of last year's conference championship. A lot of smack talk going on, not just before this game, but really all year leading up to this game. Debo uh, called James Bradbury trash at one point. The, the Niners showed up in all black. Debo was wearing black Air Forces and warmups. This was a total, like, I'm the bad boy on the street. Like, I'm the bully. This is my block. You live down the street. <laughs> you can't hang out here. <laughs> this was that sort of win for the Niners. They went into the Eagles' house. They bullied them, man. It, it was low scoring, too, to begin with, but they got on a roll. They scored six straight touchdowns. Um, they're 33-1 and one in games that they lead at halftime under Shanahan, which is a remarkable stat. Basically guarantees a win if they're up at the half. I think that one loss, I'd have to go back and look at it, but that one loss may be in the Super Bowl to, to Mahomes, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so it's they're the best team now in, in, in the NFC. They're certainly the team to beat. Philly has the one seed still, but now they've they've shown that they can go into that place and not just beat them, but dominate them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel a little bit vindicated with this one, not to toot my own horn, but I, one of my hot takes when we did that segment back a couple of weeks ago after they knocked off Jacksonville, I said when San Francisco has all of their weapons, they are the best team in football. And that was coming off. It was actually just a game removed, I think, from their two, three game losing streak that they had when they had the little hiccup in the in the middle of the year. They've got too many weapons to cover, dude. And and Brock Purdy is absolutely deserving to be in the MVP discussion. We certainly exhausted that topic last week. It's it's interesting because I always I find that when you do too much talking in the NFL, 
like the Niners did. You you create bulletin board material. And I feel like the team that's doing a lot of talking pregame or preseason, whatever it may be, usually doesn't win. But that's not the case. The Niners backed it up. Debo had a great game, backed up his talk. You heard the San Francisco team last year after they lost the NFC Championship saying, man, if Brock Purdy didn't get hurt, they, they there were holes to expose, and that equals defense. And they did, man. They did. This was the top rushing defense in the NFL, one of them at least, and they rushed for over 100 yards with ease. That's a true identification of how great of a team you are is when you have a strength and your opposition is equally strong at defending that, and you just say, we're going to be better at you than this. And that's exactly what the Niners did, top to bottom. It definitely came down to the battle in the trenches. You mentioned San Fran's rushing yards. On the other side, Philly was held in check in the running game the whole time. They had less than 50 rushing yards as a team. First time that's happened in over four years. The last time that happened was September 15th, 2019, in a 24-20 loss to the Atlanta Falcons. So... You take that into account. It's like I said, San Fran just dominated them. They 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 knew everything that they needed to do in order to have success, success in that game. And they made it happen. You mentioned the weapons for the Niners. One guy I think that doesn't get enough credit actually is Brandon Ayuk. I feel like he's he's the guy nobody talks about on that offense when in reality he's the guy that is responsible for most of their receiving yards. He actually has uh, 39.54% of their team air yards, uh, which is 11th in the NFL per next-gen stats. Really weird statistic, I know, but if you look at the guys ahead of him on that list, they're all, like, top-of-the-line receivers that you would think of, with the exception of Garrett Wilson, who's second. Um, <laughs> just, a, just a random other throw-in in there. But well, I think Garrett Wilson, talent-wise, is, is up there with the top receivers in the NFL. He's just in an awful spot. I don't right. think that's... That's right. That that wasn't a, a knock against Garrett yeah. Wilson. That was just kind of mentioning non sequitur. Anyways, um, yeah, the Niners. I, I don't know when they have everybody healthy. I don't think they're totally unbeatable. I think somebody can beat them. It's just going to be a combination of like execution, having a couple of plays go your way, and finding out a way to be more physical than them across the board. I I said this after the um after the game. I think that the 49ers, and this is bold. I, I know I told told it to you. Uh, um, I think the 49ers, this year's 49ers team is the best team the NFL's seen since the 2007 Patriots. The way that they dominate teams, I don't think that, that you know teams can come within a play or two of them. I mean, look at what they've done. You know, look at how this was a 23-point game. Beat Jacksonville by 31. They beat the Steelers first week of the season by 20 something. I mean, they destroy good teams. Dallas is another one that they just embarrassed. When they have everybody, I haven't seen a team be able to come within a play or two. The Bengals were one of them, but they don't have they don't have Joe Burrow anymore. So I don't know. I that's that's my bold claim. I think that this team is the best team the NFL has seen since the 07 Patriots. You know, you might not be far off. I'd have to go back and look at some other teams from the last handful of years. Uh, the Patriots had some teams in, in their later dynasty that I think were better than that team that almost went unbeaten, that won Super Bowls. Um, even like 
I mean, the, the Chiefs a few years ago, that 2019 team with with Tyreek and with Kelsey was ridiculous. Um, but I, the argument that you're making, I don't think, I think they're in the conversation. And it's going to come down to how much success they end up having come January and February. But certainly talent-wise, they're one of the best NFL teams on paper we've ever seen, for sure. Yeah. Have to you know to for that argument to hold up and, and to tread water they're going to have to win it all but um even though conveniently enough the 07 pats did not win it all but um not to bring back bad memories on that we'll okay. see we'll see dude we'll see and it starts with the quarterback man and start that guy's a legit quarterback i don't think anybody can say otherwise now no purdy's legit um Let's move on to let's move on to the Dallas Seattle game since we're on Purdy. Uh, we can segue we can segue into Dak Prescott and Dallas Cowboys. Um, this was a confidence boost win for for Dallas for me. I think it was the opposite for Seattle. Um, Seattle now has lost uh, I think four straight, if I'm not mistaken. No, they've lost three straight, but they've lost four out of their last five. Um, tough sledding for them recently. They also uh, have to play the Niners next week and then the Eagles after that. So there is a very real possibility that they lose two more games um, after this one. Um, for Dak and for the Cowboys, it's their first win against a team with a winning record at the time. Uh, first quarter, fourth quarter comeback of the season. They're still undefeated at home, which is huge. Um, They're hosting the Eagles next week at home. That's a crucial game for them. Um, DK was doing some unreal shit. He had three different touchdowns, sign language in the end zone. He makes me want to learn sign language. <laughs> like, yeah, that crazy DK takes sign language on the side. Good for him. Just so that he can trash talk people without getting flagged, by the way. That's the only reason yeah, that's, why. That's awesome. That's dedication right there. I love that. He found a workaround for, uh, for the rules, for sure. Um, Gino was like, all right. He had three touchdowns, which was a season high for him but he still like barely completed half of his passes. And there were some misses that he had that weren't great. He had some good throws, but Metcalf was ridiculous in this game. He was the big um, factor for me. Jackson Smith and Jigba had a couple of nice catches too. And, and uh, Charbonnet was good on the ground, but I think Dak should be the front runner for MVP over, over Purdy at this point. That's, that's my take. Um, he's got, more yards, more touchdowns, less weapons to throw to. Um, he's got the best completion percentage above expectation in the league at plus 5.2 per next-gen stats. Uh, Purdy's is 2.9. That's a pretty big gap. Purdy's like the fifth or sixth ranked by that stat, I believe. So it's not like he's way behind Dak, but the difference is still great. Um, but the Cowboys' next month of scheduling is very difficult um, they've got uh, – I know that they have to play the Eagles. They also have to play the Bills, then the Dolphins, then the Lions. So their next four games are all against not just playoff teams, but um, upper echelon playoff teams, with the exception of Buffalo, of course. Yeah, I agree with you on most of what you said, especially when it comes to to Dak Prescott. I do think that he should have a little bit of an edge over Brock Purdy right now, um, and and the – in terms of the MVP, excuse me. And, and and I think the number of weapons there is crucial. I mean, outside of CD Lamb, there's not a huge go-to guy 
on this offense, whereas Purdy has multiple options, not to take away from from what Brock DeRock has done because we've talked uh, so highly of him. But that, that does have to play a factor. I mean, when you do consider the name of the award, most valuable player. Where I disagree with you, I think, is the perception of this game in Dallas's eyes. I don't. I didn't see this as a huge confidence building win for them. They still gave up 35 points to Seattle. You know, Deron Bland was a guy who's gotten a lot of talk for uh, some of the interceptions that he's been able to force. And I, I do know he had one in this game, but he got torched by DK in this one. Gino wasn't great in terms of completion percentage, but this was a quarterback who's struggling. He comes in here, helps generate 35 points of offense in your home building, three touchdowns. Like I think Dallas is walking away with a little bit of a sour taste after this one, in my opinion, because they haven't beaten, or at least I don't think that they had beaten any team with a, uh, a winning record coming into this one. And now I guess technically, I don't know how you look at that. Technically they did because Seattle was six and five coming into this one, but now they're only six and six. Like Dallas is still, I think some people are kind of saying like, they're still kind of the Miami of the NFC where like how they're crushing everybody that they should, but how good are they really? And I think internally after this game, seeing how this played out, I think that that notion is probably still hovering around the Cowboys locker room. Well, I, I just was, I was reading the post game quotes and Prescott talked about how important it felt just like guys making plays being down at halftime and coming back and making the win happen against a Seattle team that were playing their tails off. They definitely were treating this like a playoff game. The Seahawks were, I mean, with, with you could tell the importance of it. They weren't um, unaware of the reality of their situation, which is they, they need to win some games down the stretch here. Um but I think to your point also, Deron Bland is – he's like a do-or-die. He's like a classic do-or-die cornerback. He, they he's, always have that guy. Yeah, and he's and great. Trayvon, yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, He's great when he's making plays, but it's also not every day that you're matched up against a guy as physical as, as DK who can burn you like that. And I don't even – I mean, I think physicality-wise, Tyreek is really – the only other player in the league that is more imposing than DK when they're at their best in terms of using their athleticism to their um, benefit, if that makes sense. Uh, I don't really follow when you're saying physicality, like Tyreek's not a physical receiver. The guy that no, came but he, to but mind. He's, I mean like his speed though, like he has speed. DK has close to that speed, but also he's like six, five and is crazy strong. <laughs> Yeah, the guy that came to mind, like, that's comparable to DK that they will have to deal with, in fact, this upcoming week, is A.J. Brown. Like, that's a similar type of – that's the first guy I thought of. Similar type of receiver, big, strong, muscular, can go up and get it and can outrun you. Um, Tyreek, I, I, I get what you're saying about how imposing his speed is, but I think he's just – like, that's an apples and orange, oranges yeah. argument in terms of, like, comparing what style of receiver they are. Right. It's 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 – not a direct it's not a great direct comparison but um anyways uh yeah man i i don't know i i think i think that the the cowboys if dak is playing like this they can compete with anybody even in that game against philly in philly they were a couple plays away from getting that win i think they're right there with some of the better teams in the league but they are not as well-rounded of a team like they are going to have to kind of rely on whether or not Dak can sling it. 
like he is. If that's not there, I mean, Tony Pollard isn't lighting the world on fire this year. You're not going to be able to rely on the running game. It's a little bit of both. I think they're going to, I think they're going to be able to beat most of the teams in the NFC, but um, San Fran, that matchup would worry me. Uh, Philly, I feel like they can beat, they will beat in Dallas. If that was a neutral site game, I don't know how it would go, but I could see them splitting that um, matchup with a win this week. But ultimately it's, it's the, the Niners are bust really. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Dak is as confident as he ever has been. I mean, he's playing the best football of his career. And so I'm not too surprised that his post game comments came off as, as like uber confident. That's the Um, thing that I'm kind of hinging on is like, when you see quarterbacks reach a new peak like this, typically there's success that comes with it. Like, it's usually you get those hand in hands yeah 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 i I can follow that argument because you have you have the quarterback playing at at his most confident level therefore you know the team will go with the quarterback i i can follow that i i'm glad you brought up tony pollard though because i i think that that's that's huge i mean you look at he only averaged three and a half yards per carry he's never really gotten going um this year i mean rico dowdles provided a little bit of a one-two punch but like the running game definitely hasn't been as strong this year as in years past um but i guess Dak has stepped up you know i guess he he's, he's taken on the burden of, of needing to be a larger part of the offense moving on to packers chiefs real quick on this game crazy finish at the end packers are now 16 and 0 in december under matt lafleur they have at least three winnable games coming up next uh looking at their schedule they're in the seventh seed right now in the NFC. Uh, their remaining games in December are at the New York Giants, the New York football Giants, I should say, home against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then on the road for the Carolina Panthers, and then a divisional matchup in Minnesota. Jordan Love, man, he is looking like a fledgling, not fully evolved version of, of Aaron Rodgers at times with some of these throws, man, like off balance, off schedule, tight windows, just having the perfect amount of like touch on the ball and and finding a guy in crowded areas really impressive. In some ways he actually out Mahomes Mahomes. Like if you watch the game, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's he was it was crazy. It was really cool. Um and the the Chiefs, another close loss like this. Um, they're three and three now in one possession games this season, which the that's not something you would expect of a Patrick Mahomes led team. You would think they would have the advantage in one possession games, but right now it's, it's very 50 50. So his supporting cast really worries me. Uh, Rasheed Rice has come on a little bit of late, but I don't know, man. Uh, They've got to play uh, the bills next week uh, in Buffalo. That's a must win game for the bills. You know, Josh Allen and that offense is going to be firing on all cylinders I'm really interested to see if the Chiefs are going to be able to go uh, punch for punch with them in that game. Whereas the Packers now, you you and I were kind of on it last week, looking like they might be a playoff team. They are one as it stands right now. If if the season ended today, they'd be in that seventh spot. So go Pack go, I guess. Yeah, dude. I actually think last podcast was one of the rare ones where, where we were on it, man. I don't think we jinxed anybody, really. We did have the Packers sneaking in there. Uh, one thing that I forgot to mention last week that I, I, I want to take the opportunity to bring up now is the Packers are the youngest team in football. And 
They've got a young supporting cast around Jordan Love, Jaden Reed, Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, who's come on in a big way the past couple of weeks. And obviously Jordan Love's not a rookie, but this is his first year as, a, as an NFL starter. And they're getting better throughout the season. So, you know, that, that can be very, very scary as we head potentially towards playoff time and as you head into the, you know, the future of Jordan Love's career. I think something should be said for that, where they've kind of weathered an early storm and and they've come out of it, which is crucial. I mean, that that's that is so valuable for a young team to to already kind of have that experience. I think Christian Watson is starting to unlock new levels of this offense. I mean, he's dealt with injuries this year, dealt with some injuries last year as well. But you know, you saw once he got healthy at the end of last year, he was Aaron Rodgers' go-to guy. I think that we're seeing that with with him and Jordan Love again this year. I give Matt LaFleur a lot of credit, a guy that you were willing to fire just a couple of weeks ago. Give him a lot of credit for helping to turn this uh, turn the season around. Personally, did not watch the game. I heard there were some controversial calls, as there are any time you have a Kansas City Chiefs game. But Packers are starting to impress. I think people are starting to turn their heads at the team and about Jordan Love starting to be the real deal. No, the there were some interesting um... – things that happened at the end of that game Isaiah Pacheco got ejected for for throwing a punch and then a few plays later our uh, Marquez Valdez scambling was like almost strangled trying to make a catch down the field and there was just no flags thrown would have been a, a total game-changing play like extremely blatant pass interference arm went over his and definitely impeded his ability to catch the ball no flag I'm not I don't root for Kansas City Chiefs probably success anyway. <laughs> yeah, probably. <You> probably would. <laughs> Pro- wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> oh man. Oh, poor Chiefs, man. The poor Chiefs. Oh, poor Chiefs. Come on, they're I defending don't... Super Bowl champions. Poor Chiefs. I I don't exactly. I I can't bet against them because they've got Pat Mahomes, but there's a lot of chinks in the armor, and it feels like every week we're we're getting some more chinks in the armor, and I'm. I don't know, man. Chiefs are real shaky. I, I'm. I feel like they're still going to be in that like final four of teams. If they're not in a conference championship game, I'd be shocked. Just because I don't think we've had one that Mahomes wasn't in in a while, probably since he took over. Every year since he's taken over. Yeah. So that's the standard. Mm-hmm. I mean, who else is going to step up? Like, is Miami or Baltimore going to going to best them or? Uh, your Steelers or Every, everybody else is hurt. All the other quarterbacks seem to be exactly. hurt right now. Yeah. The AC, AFC's thin. So, um, speaking of hurt quarterbacks, uh, Jacksonville Cincy, did you watch any of that game? Um, I've seen the highlights. Uh, it's, you know, a game that I wasn't really watching in protest because I was just about knocked out in fantasy, but I do know, uh, our boy Jake Browning slung that ball around the field. He looked great, man. He put up a Joe Burrow stat line. He was incredible. Um, led the Jaguars to win. It helped that Trevor Lawrence left that game hurt. And uh, C.J. Beathard had to step in. It looks like Beathard's going to be the starter this coming week, too, for Jacksonville against the Browns. Uh, two playoff teams in that game, so definitely some implications uh, with that. Or two playoff hopeful teams. They're teams in playoff standings right now. Um if if Lawrence isn't out there, I don't think the Jags stand a chance. Beth, Beathard's record and stat line as a starter is not pretty, um, regardless of what his supporting cast is. That that could be an ugly game with that Browns defense. But Browns defense hasn't been looking quite as solid as of late. So um, 
So we'll see. But yeah, even the Bengals with Browning stepping up a little bit look like they could be slightly frisky. That was pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I mean, in some ways, I, I did kind of think that the the bigger story was actually on the Cincinnati side of things, even though Jacksonville is the one that had their starting quarterback go down on this one. It's unrealistic for us to think that Jake Browning's going to go out there and put up a 32 for 37 stat line and throw for over 350 yards every week. I mean, it just won't happen. If he's looking more like the version that he did on Monday night, Cincinnati can win some games. I mean, you, you still saw they've got a good supporting cast around them. T. Higgins is back from uh, from injury. Joe Mixon looked good. Jamar Chase was his typical self. Um, had a huge night with over 120 yards and a touchdown. Cincinnati's in the hunt in the playoffs just because the AFC is so like it's so muddled down around the wild card picture. I think that that's a little bit of a bigger story in some ways because I think we had just written Cincinnati off entirely a week or two ago after they had looked so bad, you know, against the Steelers. Brown is going to deliver that performance. Let me say this. That's the best backup performance I have seen from maybe excluding one or two things that Minshew's done, who I know we'll talk about. In a or, Dobbs, or Dobbs. Or, Don't or Dobbs. Dobbs. But Dobbs is on the NFC. I'm like comparing him to, you know, the other teams that are dealing with backup quarterbacks now in the AFC that they'll be battling with in I that gotcha. wild card picture. You know, I like gotcha. a Cleveland. I haven't seen any any of the slew of Cleveland backup quarterbacks do something like that. And in the little bits that we've seen Mitch Trubisky this year in Pittsburgh, we haven't seen that. So well, Flacco looked Flacco looked pretty okay. He wasn't terrible in that game. Respectable, but he still had I think only 250 yards. Just still like you know 100 yards less. Uh-huh. Yeah, he, he he fell off at the end of the fourth quarter of that game. They once he threw that pick, they it was just it just got worse and worse. He was admittedly coming off the couch too. You know, like that. There's something to be said. Like the guy hasn't played. All Im- year impressive you know, for coming off the couch though yeah I'll impressive they um speaking of that game at the rams now have won three straight and they're back at 500 um another podcast call from last week those were our two teams yeah. that we were putting in the nfc playoff picture fifth and long is on a hot streak uh don't tail us this week boys um <laughs> don't get used to it yeah right um but no i i mean it was 20 to 19 the score of that game with like half a quarter left to play in regulation. And then uh, Flacco kind of forced that, that interception. He, he was just trying to get rid of it and he ended up throwing it into like quintuple coverage <laughs> and somebody came down with it. Um, and then after they gave up a touchdown, they had uh, they had a fumble and then they gave up another touchdown and then they had a safety that they gave up. So it was just like one bad play after another and they couldn't stop it. I'll give them credit for being in that game to that point. And I think um, where they were in that situation and how the game ended is kind of a testament to where they are as a team right now, where they're good enough to where they're going to be able to compete against good teams. But again, going back to the quarterback thing, they don't have anybody they can rely on and they don't, they don't have a quarterback right now that is going to make plays that benefit, make more plays that benefits them versus plays that hurt them even with Flacco and and maybe he has a little bit more of a rapport with Elijah Moore next week he had 11 targets only had like four catches um I think Cooper could be Amari Cooper could be out next week so I don't know he took he, a big hit, didn't he? in, in the concussion yeah, or something like that concussion him. protocol he's in the concussion yeah. protocol um yeah. but the Browns play the Jags next week that's their possible get right game if Lawrence is out which he probably will be so that could be a win for for Cleveland. 
It looks like it yeah. should be at least. Yeah, the Jags have struggled mightily against the pass. Um, you know, as we just talked about uh, a minute or two ago with Jake Browning, you know, throws 350 yards. So Joe Flacco could certainly go out there next week and, you know, maybe throw 300 plus, help kind of facilitate some some offensive life for that team. I do agree that their their defense is good enough to at least keep them hanging around. But um, I don't want to make this game solely about the the Browns. Uh, you know, I want to talk about this Rams team. They're putting up back-to-back games with 30 points. They've looked really, really good the past couple of weeks. I finally feel like that team is healthy. Cooper Cup may not may not still be at his uh his peak level, but Puka Nakua has over 100 yards and a touchdown. Kyron Williams is is all the way back from injury. Stafford is shaking off any uh, any cobwebs or injuries he had earlier in the year. Uh, it's it's a dangerous looking team if if they're going to play like they have the past couple of weeks. I, I think it, that that's a well rounded team. That's a team that played solid defense today. Stafford, if he can get in the playoffs with McVay, you know, a good head coach. A quarterback that's made a run before has that playoff experience. I don't see a reason why, you know, they couldn't maybe make another little run again. Um, I think the top NFC is a little top heavy, but you know, this is a team I think that could win a game or two come playoff time. I think that they've proven that uh, the past couple of weeks. To your point, um, cup to me still doesn't look healthy. Really. I, I feel like he's still trying to get back to full strength. I don't know if we'll see that from him this year, but luckily he's got Puka Nakua lining up on the other side of him or somewhere else on that line of scrimmage, most plays. And Kyron Williams is incredible, uh, an incredible running back. One Kyron Williams is also on Sean McVay's fantasy team. So uh, there's some incentive for, for Sean to, to get him in opportunistic situations. Um, you made a note here, and it's interesting. I want to touch on it a little bit. You said, how far off is Matthew Stafford from the Hall of Fame? 11th all-time in passing yards, 11th in passing touchdowns, has a Super Bowl ring. I don't think he's that far off. I think there's I think there's a great argument there. You also throw in he had that record-setting season with Cooper Cup. That's also in the NFL history books and would play a role in uh, his possible selection, perhaps. This is a ways down the road. Uh, he's probably got... It's tough to say how many healthy years left he has ahead of him because he has had a banged up career. But I would say he's I would say he's uh he's right there on the fringe. I think he probably deserves it. A lot of people would say he does. Um I believe he still has a record below 500 as a starting quarterback in the NFL. That would be my one knock on him. Now he played on some really bad teams in Detroit and it was not his fault. Uh, that the team surrounding him was so garbage, but it was. He also got Detroit to the brink of the playoffs uh, a couple times as well. So I would say he's he's got a good argument for the Hall of Fame. I don't have him in yet. He's absolutely in the discussion. Another Super Bowl would seal the deal. I have a tough time believing that this Rams team is going to be able to win another one with him because he is 35. He's had some injury problems the past couple of years. I'm not saying it's out of the question. I just think it's, it's unlikely. I think the career record is a knock on him. You made a good point about that. And I think that there are some people who are going to be making this decision that are going to credit some of his steps, especially early in his career, 
to the wide receiver that he was throwing to Calvin Johnson, one of the best wide receivers to ever play the game. Pretty good guy to throw. He shouldn't be. (laughs) Yeah. Not a bad guy to throw footballs to. I mean, I I hate to like punish a guy because, you know, he had such a talented guy like that, but I think that that might play a a factor as well. Um, He's right on the cusp there. He's with some other guys. Like he's right around Eli Manning territory, I think with passing yards and passing touchdowns, like Matt Ryan's another guy in that territory as well, where, I don't really think Eli, like if Eli gets in, it's really just because he beat Tom Brady twice in the, in the Super Bowl. Uh, he'll he'll get in. Matt Ryan's. He'll get in. Much to my chagrin. You think Eli so? Will, Eli will definitely get in. Yeah. You beat, you beat the GOAT twice in the I'm biggest I'm not quite game. as confident. I, I I'm not it. quite as confident as you are. I hate it, but you got to. Giants fans would crucify me if I disagreed. <laughs> Well, yeah, and we have a lot of Giants fans, listeners, but yeah, we'll don't, see. Don't um, I know it. We'll see. It's an interesting. It's an interesting topic of discussion here. I, I think if he can have maybe one or two more deep playoff runs, where he's you know, like a crucial reason why they're winning. Stafford, that is now going back to ta- uh, talking about him. That might be enough. It's really interesting. I, I think he's he's really one of those fringe guys. Fringe guys. I think it was an interesting topic of discussion there. Um. Back to the Rams. They've got a matchup against the Ravens this week. You mentioned the Rams have back-to-back games with 30 points. Uh, the Ravens have allowed 30 points in a game once all season. Uh, they've allowed 20 points in a game one, two, three, four, like five times this season. So um, difficult defense to score against. Uh, and I believe they are playing them in Baltimore. They are. So uh, tough game ahead for the Rams. They are just outside of a playoff spot. They're in the eight seed right now in the NFC. Um, Detroit, New Orleans. This was a this was a weird, kind of interesting game. Um, it was over real early. Detroit made it 21-0, which was a franchise record for points in an opening quarter for the Lions. It wasn't all Derek Carr's fault, but he didn't exactly help. Uh, I will say his interception was not his fault whatsoever. Went right through the hands of Jawan Jennings. I think his name is the the back the, the tight end backup tight end Jawan Johnson. Jawan yep. Jennings is a receiver for the for the Niners. Niners right, former receiver for the Niners. Uh, no current. Jawan Jennings still plays for him. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, but Carr also had a ton of misthrows in that first quarter. I think he only had like two completed passes for like. 12 yards or something and a lot of misses. Uh, And then when the saints actually started getting back into the game, he had the one passing touchdown um, in inside the the 15, but that was the only passing play they called in the red zone. That whole sequence, all other, all the other uh, eight plays they called are all run plays. Um, Now Carr did complete 15 straight passes at one point. Good job. Sick dude. I know that must be difficult for you to give Derek Carr any sort of praise. <laughs> well, I will say, like, when Jameis came in, they he had one typical, like, tipped pass that ended up in Chris Olave's hands for a big gain, but they really could have used Carr in that last drive, at least to get them into a situation where they could have threatened, you know? Because I, with, with Jameis under the helm, I just don't believe they can do that. Now, if they have – if Carr misses next week, which there's a chance he does because he left the game with – uh, concussion back and shoulder issues where that's like the holy trinity of quarterback injuries to me <laughs> you have all three of those at the same time 
it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. So I would rather, I'm not just saying this because he's on my fantasy team, but if I was leading the Saints offense, I would rather just have Taysom Hill out there for some gadget plays, gadget offense, ride him and Kamara and your blockers and try to make something happen. Um, but ultimately the Saints ended up losing this game because um turnovers they had two bonehead turnovers in the game a bad fumble uh as well as that touchdown or uh, interception i should say if they don't have those they probably win but credit to the lions man best start since 1962 when they went 10 and 2 they're 9 and 3 right now probably going to win their division still a little shaky they have some holes uh only one touchdown of theirs in this game started uh, inside their own 45 yard line so they were definitely benefited in the field position game and by new orleans uh, struggles holding on to the ball but i like I, I still like the lions i feel like we do the same thing every week where we question their uh, validity and and rag on them when they do do poorly but praise them when they do well they definitely could have lost this game for sure yeah i'm gonna do a little bit more of the ragging here um to me, good teams put teams away, put lesser teams away when they have the opportunity to do so. You mentioned that Detroit gets out to a 21 nothing lead in this one, and they don't put them away. You know, the Saints have a chance to maybe potentially win this game late. That is – that's not the sign of an elite team. That's a sign of maybe like a good team, but but not a great team, which is kind of what I've been saying about Detroit the whole year. I was a little bit discouraged, certainly, as a fantasy manager, that they didn't get Amon Ross St. Brown a little bit more involved in this game. Um, even though Sam Laporta stepped up in a big way, as a, a he's really stepped up as a second pass catching option. Very talented rookie tight end out of Iowa. Uh, went over 100 yards in this one. Uh, and then my other qualm with Detroit is, like, I, I don't know why the the carry split went 18 to Montgomery and 8 to Jameer Gibbs. That that doesn't make sense to me, especially when Gibbs averaged seven and a half yards per carry to Montgomery's three. But well, it's because of where they had the football. When they're on the other side of the 50, they like to put the ball in Montgomery's hands. Whereas when they're on their own side, they're giving it to Gibbs and, and trying to use him to switch the field. I, I don't think it should matter. I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Maybe some more red zone opportunities. Montgomery's a little bit of a bigger back, but. I just think Gibbs is more talented all around, faster, quicker, more elusive. Like, I'm with I, you. The the split. Let me say this. I, I I get I get you know you want to preserve a guy like that. He's a rookie. You don't want to overload him, especially in his first year. The split should at least be closer to fifty fifty. It shouldn't yeah. be eighteen eight. You know, like sixty forty at least. Yeah, I mean, like I I think I think Gibbs should actually have a little bit more of the carries, but like yeah, you're right. Like make it make it more like you know fourteen ten or or fourteen twelve or something like that. Colts Titans. This was an electric game to watch. Super fun. Was on meth at times. Like just some absolutely ridiculous stuff was going on. There was a sequence where there was there was a Indy blocked a punt for a touchdown and then tried to go for two but threw a pick six and then forced a three and out and blocked a punt again. <laughs> it was like bingo card after bingo card after bingo card getting checked. Um Hopkins and Henry were actually like pretty good for the Titans. There is, there was one play where um, Will Levis, it looked in the moment like he threw a pick, but it was actually a, a forward fumble where he, he lost a fumble on a forward 
pass or what was he he was hoping to pass it you know what i'm saying there was a play where will levis lost a fumble went and tackled the defender who recovered it forced a fumble on that tackle and then recovered the fumble that he just forced he's not an awesome quarterback he's probably the guy in tennessee for now but that's a football play right there i don't think i've i don't (laughs) seriously i don't think i've ever heard of a uh, quarterback doing that in an in an nfl game before that was ridiculous um Lots of trick plays. Neither team's really like good. I think without Jonathan Taylor, the the Colts ceiling is high, heavily, heavily limited. But Gardner Minshew, man, I got a nickname for him. I call him the Sheriff now because when it's time to go home, he makes sure everybody packs it up and leaves. Uh, that game winning touchdown drive, I think they did it in five plays. He had that huge um, uh, walk off touchdown to, to Alec Pierce. Um, or was it Pittman? Was it Pittman? No, it, the the huge touchdown to Pierce was earlier in the game. The walk off was was Pittman. It was it was like around. It was in the red zone somewhere. It was like a ten or twelve yard throw to Pittman. But it, I mean, uh, a seed nonetheless. He had a big throw to Pierce. I think just before that to put them in range. Um, yeah, man. I they're a team that will beat bad teams, but when they have to play like a like a Miami. I don't see them doing well. They did beat Baltimore earlier in the year, so I'll give them credit for that. But I don't know. I, I don't know how to feel about them. They're a sneaky team to me. Well, I don't know how I feel about the Colts and their outlook for the rest of the season, but I, I feel pretty confident in saying Gardner Minshew is definitely one of the best 30 quarterbacks in the NFL. And I actually say that even when everybody's healthy. Now, with all the yeah. injuries that we're seeing, I think he's even more like with with the plethora or the I would say he's top 20 when everybody's healthy. Yeah, like what's what's the word I'm looking for here? With 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 the slew of quarterbacks that we're dealt with now after all the injuries. Yeah, I definitely would put him into the top 20. So the Colts even like when everybody's have, healthy, I might have him in the top 20, to be honest. Nah, I don't know if I could go that far. Like he still does make some boneheaded plays here or there. And like the sample size that we we've seen him in over the past two years still isn't like that crazy big, but um, he's, he's good. He, he, he's solid. I definitely think he should be a starter in the league. Um, but where I was going with this is that the, the Colts have, have a quarterback right now, kind of similar to what I was saying about Jake Browning, where it's, it's interesting that Jake Browning has looked better than like any of the Steelers backups or any of the Browns backups. Like Minshew has looked better than than Browning. Well, maybe not better than Browning's performance against Jacksonville, but Minshew as a whole, his, his baseline is better than any of the other backup quarterbacks that we've seen in the AFC. And that and that bodes well. The guy that plays with confidence over 300 yards, two touchdowns. So the Taylor injury hurts, but I mean, the Colts have their guy for this year. Like that's definitely a guy I know that the rest of their team is, is able, I'm sure that they are comfortable with rallying around him for this year, you know, where I like, I don't know if that's going to be the case in Pittsburgh behind Mitch Trubisky. I don't know if that's the case per se with Cleveland and Flacco or Jacksonville and, and Beathard. Let's uh, let's talk about your Steelers. Since you mentioned that game, um, 24 to 10 win for the Arizona Cardinals in that game really weirdly paced game. We had a 30 minute halftime essentially because of weather. Then we had another delay in the middle of the third quarter. It kind of seemed like the Steelers came in flat. Like there wasn't really any energy. And then with all the breaks and with 
uh, Pickett getting hurt and everything. It just seemed like it just seemed like they they were sleepwalking through the game, like they didn't want to be there or something. And yeah, it was shitty weather, and they weren't playing a great team. But you're in a playoff race in a really close division. Like this is a game you need to find a way to win. I'll, I'll give I'll give James Conner and I'll give Kyler credit. This was the James Conner revenge game in some ways. Uh, 20 carries, 105 yards, two touchdowns, and his return to Pittsburgh. Um, huge game for him. But now the Steelers, they've got a, a game against the Pats on Thursday night. You got to win that game. There's no way you can lose to that team. I, Belichick will find a way for you guys to win that game. I promise you. I don't know if you've seen the injury report for that game. But like all of our receivers are on it. We might we might walk into that game with nothing but running backs and tight ends. I'm dead serious. And Ramondre Stevenson, uh, likely out. I heard for you guys as well. Yep, he um, is. That's official. He's out. Yeah, I got plenty to say about the Steelers. You hit the nail on the head that they were not ready to play this game. In fact, they there have been two guys that I know of that were quoted to have said that they took the Cardinals lightly during during the week of practice. Both Jalen Warren and Deontay Johnson said that. And the, the rain delays, uh, uh, honestly, should really have benefited the Steelers. One, the weather should benefit the team that plays outdoors anyway. Cardinals are an indoor team. And you're right, the Steelers have a lot more to play for right now. They're in the thick of a playoff race. And Arizona is a team where most of their guys have probably packed it in. They're two and 10 coming into this year. The consistent rain delays should just make a team like Arizona want to get on the flight home that much faster and, and just, you know, run this game out and finish things off. But it was the opposite. It, it was the Steelers that seemed like they wanted to get out of there and not the Cardinals. To me, you know what? A lot of people praise him and that, and that's fine. And I'm not just going to sit here and say, Fire the guy, fire the guy, fire the guy, even though that might be how I feel inside. But this is a coaching loss. This loss falls on Mike Tomlin first and foremost. This team wasn't ready to play a lesser opponent. I know that they had the picket injury, but this is they only generated three points of offense before Pickett got hurt anyway. This team wasn't ready to play. They now have two of their past three games. They have losses to the combination of, of a third string, Dorian Thompson Robinson, and the two and 10 Cardinals. You make an argument that this team, given the schedule that they have, should really be nine and three, not seven and five. And they could be fighting for a number one overall seed in a division. As it stands now, they're just going to be fighting for their playoff lives. I personally believe, I think, I think Tomlin should be coaching for his job the remainder of the season. If we can't make a play the playoffs with how easy the stretch has been and will be in the back half of the season, I think that that's reprehensible. I think it's reprehensible, but well, I know that a lot of people don't feel that way. It depends on how many games you've got Trubisky for healthy, at least. Now this is what the, it's the, at least the second or third game that's been affected that he's been affected by injury with. I this think it's be the, the second. second game. This is the second game Trubisky has come in this upcoming game against new England will be the and first one that he, uh, he both of those starts. games were losses, correct? Yes, but I think that both games are going to be losses either way, personally. Like, I, I don't think that there's a huge difference between Pickett and Trubisky. I think the Pickett's a little bit better. Trubisky takes more shots. Yes, like, I don't he, think he definitely does. A, I don't think that there's, like, a, a like much more than a marginal gap between the two. Damn. 
Shots fired. The Kenny, well, the, I mean, the Kenny Pickett kind of, crowd will not be happy about that. Well, I don't know if Kenny Kenny Pickett doesn't have a, a very strong backing right now in Pittsburgh. No, I, I'm they, I'm not disagreeing with you. It's not like he's been um like po- like an elite pocket passer or anything even close to be honest. But I mean, if I look at the game, you had a, a goal line whiff on a fourth and one to Najee Harris where he gets stuffed. Bad. Then you had a Trubisky fumble that immediately led to a Cardinals touchdown. That's a 14-point swing there, which is the score differential. And then you also had a missed field goal by Boswell, who I feel like hardly ever misses. Um, I think coaching does does play a role into it. Like They definitely took the team light, and I sensed that. Um, but Tomlin's... I know how you feel about him. You and I have done this a bunch of times. Tomlin's a good coach, man. He's He would have most teams in the National Football League as a competitive team, I think, like with the exception of maybe like my Patriots. <laughs> but they're just destined to fail. I would – I think pretty much if, if the Steelers got rid of him, I think almost any other organization in the National Football League would be happy to scoop him right up. I think that he, I think that he would get scooped up pretty easily. I don't necessarily agree with the notion that he would have any other team, you know, competitive. I think that there there are some bad teams out there that I don't know if he'd be able to do that much with. I mean, keep in mind he's got three, four prospective Hall of Famers on defense. You know, when you look at Patrick Peterson, Minka Fitzpatrick, Cam Hayward, and uh, and T.J. Watt, and that defense is still getting gashed. That's the other thing that I didn't mention, man. They gave up a 99-yard touchdown drive after they they got stuffed. You know, like that to the Cardinals, I know that they're better with Kyler Murray now. Like, I know that they're not quite the doormat that they were. You can't be giving up a 99-yard touchdown drive to them. This, this defense isn't forcing turnovers anymore. And schematically, like, Trey McBride was burning our – our linebacking core they should have they should have switched something up I thought that they should have had Minka Fitzpatrick shadow him I, I usually I think that you have the the safety kind of shadow the tight end when you have an athletic tight end that's going off and they never really switched that up we just they just kept Arizona that is kept creating the same mismatch over and over again on that drive I don't know I'm certainly as frustrated as, as I ever have been with the Steelers and uh maybe that's influencing some of my comments uh or at least the severity of them but I'm just getting tired of this terrible offense and this, you know, nine and eight slog that they've been through the past couple of years, man. I, I just, I think it's okay to admit that, look, it's been a really good 17 years and he, he's done some great things for the organization. They got a Super Bowl, but like it's okay to admit sometimes that the message runs stale and that sometimes it's time to move on. Like the Eagles did that with Andy Reid worked out then they Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl there and they did the same thing you know like I think sometimes the message runs stale and I think Tom is still living in a in an NFL where like he's trying to win games like he did back when they won Super Bowl 43 you know 15 years ago and I don't think it's quite working to the level that it was anymore that's like the bottom line point I'm trying to make I get you I mean for one he doesn't have a Hall of Fame quarterback in his offense right now that's mm-hmm. one thing. That, that's a big difference. That's a huge sure difference. Um, sure he doesn't have <laughs> multiple like Hall of Fame running backs right now either. I mean, Harris and Warren are both pretty good. I, I saw that Harris is questionable for this week. 
Now, Warren, yeah, the injury popped up out of nowhere. We, I actually don't know. Like, he's never missed a game in, an, in his NFL career mm-hmm. either, so I don't know what's going to happen with that. Uh, this might be a game where they try to rest some people and, and see if they can scrap out a win. Um, I'll touch on my Pats real quick just to just for the Patriots fans who listen. Um, how dare Brandon Staley run up the score with a second field goal in this game? How dare he? Totally unnecessary. <laughs> You only needed three points for the win. Six is too much, man. All right. Like I'm trying to bet a ridiculous, ridiculous alternative uh, over under right now. And and you're not helping. So credit to the chargers for turning a gimme win into one of the worst games of football I've watched all year. Just disgusting. And, and Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi are like separate, but identical piles of dog crap. They are the same exact same i i i can't wait for the draft man i'm wearing a red Sox hat i'm already ready for for uh baseball season the celtics got eliminated in the in-season tournament which makes me feel like it's june six months early like <laughs> dude, it's it's rough right now for for boston fans our friends in the yeah. chat are, are gonna love these last two minutes um <laughs> yeah but you know what the objective is i mean you've been saying it now for a while yeah, where with the number I one mean, pick it's t- it's tank mode and yeah get get a very high pick i think you guys are in the two spot right now just we are carolina keeps losing but um well which i guess the pick would go to chicago but um i know it's got to be frustrating to have to watch it week in and week out but as a as a third party you know objective fan in this situation i you know keep telling yourself that man you know you don't have a quarterback right now um you know mac is clearly proven he's not the guy and and zappy Zappy, Zappy. I think that Zappy's probably a backup in this league who I think has been thrust into a situation just because purely just because there's no legit starter, obviously, in New England. It's a tough spot, I'll, I'll admit. When you can't, it's not even like the Chargers are an elite defense either. They've gotten gashed in some some spots this year. We'll see. If you want a real, you want to bet an, uh, an alternative total under, bet the, bet the under in the Steelers Pats game tomorrow, man. I don't think there's going to be a touchdown scored. That's my prediction. You got Trubisky versus Zappi. I don't think either team finds the end zone. Patriots, neither offense, neither offense finds the end zone. Maybe Patriots defense, defense has been pretty good too. Uh, yeah. Our last couple of games, we've allowed like <laughs> six points, 10 points, and 10 points. Pretty good. We've allowed. 26 points over three games and we've scored 13 in that span anyway yeah i saw i saw i saw that stat where I, I can't remember the teams off the top of my head but you're one of maybe like four or five teams to allow that few points over that stretch and you're the only one with a losing record like everybody else is we're the only one that hasn't won a game <laughs> yeah it's horrendous like we're not even trying to score points um whatever um some other news and notes uh, Mike Evans, 10 straight seasons of over a thousand yards receiving, uh, is the only player not named Jerry Rice to accomplish that feat. That's kind of a big deal. Jerry Rice, arguably the greatest receiver of all time, definitely the greatest receiver of all time. Mike Evans, surefire Hall of Famer for sure now with that. And then Shuba Hubbard uh, had another solid outing for the Panthers. Uh, Bryce Young didn't even complete half his passes, and some of his misses were like really bad now he was under pressure a ton and again they're without a head coach now it's it's tough sledding in carolina and their wins and losses don't even really matter because they don't even have their top pick 
So rough situation there, but um, shout out Mike Evans, man. I, I actually used to think he was kind of overrated before Brady got to Tampa Bay. And then I started watching the Bucks a little bit more and, and got more of appreciation for him. And uh, he's still having success now with, with Baker there. So otherwise the, the last game I want to touch on Houston, Denver, big win for the Texans, big win for the Texans, especially with Lawrence going down in that uh, Cincinnati Jacksonville game. Um, Denver really struggled though. Russ had three picks. All of them were in the second half. The Broncos went 0 for 11 on third down, didn't convert on a single third down the whole game. Um, they didn't have a takeaway on defense either. So that, that was their recipe for their win streak was force turnovers, have Russ be efficient, don't give the ball up, move the ball down the field. And they didn't do any of that. Um, CJ Stroud now leads the NFL in passing yards. Um, their young core is, it's not as young as the Packers, but I think it's more impressive than the Packers young core in terms of having like Stroud, uh, Nico Collins, Will Anderson, Derek Stingley Jr. You just lost Tank Dell, which isn't ideal, but then you also have Dalton Schultz there, who's not a bad player either. Um, they're a solid team, man, and, and I would hate to face them. They've got some more winnable games on their schedule. I think they could be um, they could be a team that could knock some heads and and maybe crush some dreams of some other playoff teams come uh, come January. Massive win for them. We talked about this game. We previewed this game a little bit last week and talked about how crucial it would be in terms of the AFC wild card race. And now this is huge, obviously, because they'll have the the tiebreaker over Denver, a team that they uh, could be fighting for a, a spot with. For me, I think a little bit of a larger story is the Houston defense. You touched on Derek Stingley. I thought he made a phenomenal play on uh, the one interception where I thought yeah. Russ had Cortland Sutton up the seam. He had two interceptions in this game, right? Yeah, yeah, he had two picks say? in that game. I was talking about the one where he goes across the middle, he undercuts Cortland Sutton's route, where I thought Sutton had a step up the middle of the field, and I thought Russ was going to be able to hit him with for what could have turned into a touchdown if, if he did, because I didn't think there were any defenders behind. Undercuts the route, makes a phenomenal diving play. Like keep in mind that was a cornerback that was taken before Sauce Gardner, a guy that a lot of people are are uh, claiming as maybe one of maybe the best corners in football already, and uh, and Stingley went before him, so he's starting to make some splash plays, starting to justify the Texans' pick with uh, for him over Gardner a little bit there. Will Anderson, you touched on, you touched on how young this defense is. I, I like the way it's playing, man. You hold Denver to seventeen points. Their their totals have been better over the past few weeks. Uh, I think they held Jacksonville to 24 the week before, Arizona to 16. Before that, yeah, Arizona, I think that was before Kyler Murray got back, so it's not quite as dazzling. But listen to some of the other point totals that they've held defenses to or held offenses to. Panthers, 15. Saints, 13. They held the Steelers to 6. Jags to 17 in the first go-around. It's not a phenomenal defense, but it's a defense that is is starting to come around and starting to play better. And you you supplement that with C.J. Stroud's play, starting to become a more complete team. Let's keep in mind, D'Amico Ryan's defensive-minded head coach was the defensive coordinator in San Francisco. I don't think it's a coincidence that we're starting to see that um, that part of te the Texan game start to click. So big for them. The tank tail injury hurts, but you know what? I'm not going to try to underplay it, but like, CJ Stroud's been when Noah Brown's been in there, he he's been yeah. 
He's been going off. So, like, I think Stratt, it'll just be next man up and Stratt will find the open guys. They even had um, they even had another guy come up in this game, uh, a receiver. Uh, Brevin Jordan. We don't even know his name. Brevin Jordan. Doesn't even three receptions. Oh, I've never heard of that guy. Seriously, he had three, yeah. three receptions for 64 yards, uh, second on the team in targets. Like, Noah Brown – didn't even have a catch on the day, but Nico Collins nine for one ninety one and a tutty. Oh my goodness! Like, boy, has he been good? He has been good this year. He and Stroud are so fun to watch. Um, they also got John Mechie the third involved in this game a little bit. Former first round draft pick. Um, I just feel like there's an abundance of talent on the roster that they have yet to fully unlock. And when they can get everybody playing to the level that they want i mean we still have a month left of the season for guys to develop and get better and stuff young guys at least so i'm really on the lookout for them man they're they're a solid team they've got some winnable games ahead they face the jets on the road next week then the titans they have another matchup with the titans uh and they also have a a, uh battle against the browns mixed in with um final game of the year on the road in Indianapolis that could that could decide a playoff spot as well so keep an eye out for the Texans taking a look now at some playoff odds four different teams in the league um Miami Baltimore KC Jacksonville all pretty much locked in for the betting odds a lot of places you can't even bet on them to, to make or miss same with Philly San Fran and Detroit as well as Dallas in the NFC side Everybody else you can pretty much find odds for. Um, if I'm looking at these, the the closest right now, either way, looks like it's either Minnesota or Pittsburgh. Those are the two teams it seems like Vegas wants you to bet on either way. Um, either Pittsburgh to, to make or miss the playoffs or Minnesota to make or miss, with Minnesota being favored to miss and Pittsburgh being favored to make. Um, you feel like they're on the, I feel like I know where you're going to be at with the Steelers, but I feel like they kind of have that right. I still see Pittsburgh making the playoffs. I do see Minnesota missing out. Yeah, I I think it's a pretty good line. I'm seeing Pittsburgh at minus 130 to make plus 110 to miss. I, I think they'll still get in. I think that those odds are pretty reflective of my internal feelings. Yeah. Because you figure that this week is a win, uh, it should be, better be, against New England. And then um, they have another game on the schedule against Jake Browning and the Bengals, but that's at home. So you figure those are two pretty good chances, and that gets you to nine wins. And then it's like, can you just find a win in there against, uh, they got Seattle, Baltimore, and I'm blanking on um, a third team, uh, the Colts. So it's like if you can just find a win in one of those three, with granted none of those teams are are pushovers, but like to just win one out of three, pretty feasible. Like that's a pretty good path. I think minus one thirty is a pretty good number. I also think with the Steelers, like I think that they're, um, like if you're just a neutral and objective fan, like you could take them now with this these odds, and it might go up. Like you might have an opportunity to hedge after they win the New England game because like the odds will, will fluctuate a little bit more in favor of them to make. And you might have an opportunity to hedge for 
couple of bucks here or there. But I would say, yeah, take the Steelers to make Minnesota. I'd say miss, not really just because of them, but because of how strong a team in their own division has come on Green Bay and the fact that they still have to play Green Bay uh, later in the year. So I'd say for that reason, it's not really reflective. Like, I think Minnesota's still going to be in it till the end. But I think that with how strong Green Bay has come on and how much better, like, the Rams look now, too, some of the teams behind them have just stepped up in a way that I don't think Minnesota has the last week or two. Minnesota's last three games of the season are Detroit, Green Bay, Detroit. So not not exactly ideal. Um, great in terms of quality entertainment viewing purposes, though. Um Denver minus 400 to miss kind of seems like a lock to me now after uh, their recent loss this past week. I wouldn't bet that line. It's minus 400, but um, I would say that's pretty solid. Then you also have um, the the NFC South lines I'm kind of interested in. Tampa Bay at plus 220 to make. I kind of like. I feel like they could beat Atlanta in their, in their game against them this weekend. And then after that, I don't believe they have the tiebreaker, but they do have the tiebreaker over New Orleans. So I think it might be a situation where if they beat Atlanta, they may have the tiebreaker, depending on how much they beat them by. Um, because Atlanta did win the first version of that matchup, 16-13. So I guess I don't I guess it would go down to record in division after that. But um yeah, that's that's the one team that I think could still maybe uh, pull something out of their hat and squeak their way into the playoffs. Um, they face Atlanta, Green Bay, Jacksonville, New Orleans, Carolina. I think the Jacksonville and Green Bay, Green Bay games will be tough, but I could see them winning those other three games. The New Orleans game is at home, which which counts for something, and we've seen how inconsistent they are. Um, how do you feel about that? Yeah, we've talked about this division a lot, a lot probably more than we should have uh, throughout the course of this season. And I think the one consistent thing, like we've talked about, it, it seems to flip flop week in and week out about who we think is legit, who we think can win this thing. I, I would say put your money if you if you want to place a bet on the NFC South winner, because that's essentially what you're doing if you're taking one of these teams to make the playoffs because they're not going to get in. On the wild card, take either Tampa Bay or New Orleans just because you're getting better plus money right now. Just because we've seen this flip-flop so many times, I don't think that there's a point in laying like a minus 215 on Atlanta to win it right now because I, I think that this will fluctuate up and down in the standings multiple times over the next few weeks. And Atlanta 6-6, six and six, New Orleans 5-7, and seven, Tampa Bay 5-7. and seven, They're all within a game of each other. So, you know, I really don't see why Atlanta is this heavy of a favorite. I, I would say take plus money with either Tampa or New Orleans, whoever you trust more there. The other line that's really interesting is that you can get the Rams at plus odds to make the playoffs, plus 145 on that. That for me is, um, now it does kind of hinge on how they do in their game against the Ravens. After that, they play the Commanders, the Saints, the Giants, and the Niners. So what, you think they probably go... Worst case, two and two in that stretch. Best case, three and one. Maybe the Niners are resting starters that last week and, and the Rams pick up another win. So I would say if you feel like the Rams are going to beat Baltimore this weekend, that might be a line worth worth touching too. 
You know what the interesting thing, though, about it is that the Ravens game, the fact that it's out of conference, it's not it's 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 definitely a game that they can afford to lose because, you know, you when you go to the tiebreakers, conference record is what they're going to go to after if a teams have the same same record within the same conference. So the fact that the Ravens is an AFC game, the Rams can definitely afford to lose it. I think I would wait because I do see them losing that game. And I would see if the odds get a little bit more favorable, um, maybe jump up from like a plus 145 to something like a plus 160, 170, something like that, just because I do think it'll be a loss. Now, I would caution our betters out there that if you do that and they win, like then you're just not like then they're going to get really then they're going to be a favorite to make the playoffs. So you do run that risk, but I, I would wait and hold off on that Rams bet until after this game with the Ravens. Cause I think the, I think the payout's going to be better. And I really don't think that, that that's a detrimental game to lose just being out of conference. I um on the Ravens side of that with them being tied uh, with Miami record wise for that top seed. I feel like they're going to take the rest of their games down the stretch very seriously, especially considering their second last of the game of the year is actually against Miami. That game could be a battle for that bye week. I think both teams will take that very seriously. So I don't think um, Baltimore is going to um, ease off the gas pedal down the stretch here at all. Not by any means. They're they're not going to take the Rams lightly. Not with Harbaugh there. No, definitely not. I mean, home field advantage will play a huge factor in AFC, especially, I mean, because like, you know, take a team like Miami that you just mentioned. I mean, that's a warm weather team. You'd have to come up north to play Baltimore and maybe an AFC championship or a divisional round, something like that. That's huge. That's a huge swing. So I, I agree that it's a, uh, it's of huge importance for Baltimore to win every one down the stretch or as many as they can, especially a team that's dealt with some injury concerns to their quarterback in years past. You know, if Lamar does get a little dinged up on some of these runs or these hits that he takes uh, that by week could be crucial, massive to uh, get him healed up or anybody else on that team. All right. Bouncing over to some, some spreads for this week's games. We got some good matchups here. Um, I teased it a little bit a couple of minutes ago. Tampa Bay, Atlanta uh, in Atlanta. Right now, the Falcons favored by one and a half. I probably wouldn't bet on this game personally, but if I had to, I would. I might just go straight up Bucks money line. You know, like I can't for I'll reiterate with it with a conference that is proven to basically not have a dominant team and that like we can't draw a clear conclusion who the best team is week in and week out. But the NFC South, I think it's equally as tough for lines makers to make a good line. And I think that if that's the case, like if you just clearly can't identify who you think the better team is which I certainly can't in this situation, just take whoever the underdog is and whoever plus money would be. Or the smartest thing to do is actually, like you said, just don't bet this game. But if you do, yeah, rip bucks money line at plus money. I mean, you could, you could like tease them. You could tease them down a few points um, and throw them in so, there with like the Ravens or some, or some other team. So, uh, it's interesting that you said tease. I mean, we do give some gambling advice and and uh, and everything like that to our listeners. I am personally extremely anti tease. I think it's a uh, the Jason Selikoff special. 
I don't, I don't think it's ever worth teasing. Football is the only sport that it's kind of remotely worth it just because games end in specific numbers, you know, with threes for field goals, sevens for touchdowns, like tens are there. There are scores that are much more common than the other. And so if you can tease through a number like that, it can make sense sometimes. But um, I think the tease is not a very profitable betting strategy personally. Like I've always found that whenever I tease either I would have just won if I had just parlayed those two teams straight up or I just basically pay like you're just paying extra money or you're, you're getting a way less of a payout for something that's still a parlay. That's the right. way I look at it. You know? Yeah. No, we're, we're on the same page. I was yeah. just looking at options. Um, oh, fair enough. Colts Bengals in Cincinnati road team favored by one so the colts are favored by a single point um that's tough man i kind of i feel like the Bengals have a slight edge in this i mean the colts defense hasn't really impressed me at all at any point in any game this year they just uh they just went to overtime against will levis yeah i would go i would go Bengals on this side especially at home I'll come down on the Colts side. Um, I would have to check where the money's being bet and and how how strong of a percentage the the public bet is on this one. But I think that this is a good spot to fade the Bengals because I think that you're going to see a lot of public betters um, put tickets down on the Bengals going off of what they saw on Monday night and overreact to it. I think that that's Vegas will try to um, influence the line here where they'll, they'll get the public to overreact. I think it's pr- like typically a good spot to kind of fade whatever that knee jerk reaction is, especially in the NFL. I'll take the Colts here. Um, I'll take the Colts on the road to, uh, to win out. Right. Okay. And then we also have um, Jacksonville, Cleveland battle of the backups. Again, probably just stay away from this. Cleveland is favored by three. CJ Beathard is a terrible, has terrible numbers as a starter. I, you have to take the Browns, right? Especially in Cleveland. I'd be taking Cleveland here. Yeah, backup versus backup. Go with the better defense. Cleveland's defense has struggled a little bit the past couple of weeks, but I'm still, I'm still going to trust that unit. What about? Buffalo, Kansas City. This um this has some game of the week potential here. Kansas City at home, favored by a point and a half. Can the Bills get the job done on the road against against the Chiefs? This has rat vibes. Yeah, I don't like this. this. Some, something's fishy about this line. I would have pegged this line to be more like three and a half or something like that. I would have expected the Chiefs to be at least a full field goal favorite. Um in situations like this, when the line really doesn't make any sense, I like to fade like what my initial reaction is. So like my initial reaction would be, yeah, Kansas City, that seems like an easy line for them to smash even against a decent team like Buffalo. So I always I fade my gut in that. Uh, so I'll say go Buffalo in that sense, but I don't feel confident in it. I'm kind of leaning the same way. And you remember the last time we talked about the Bills, we had that whole discussion about Josh Allen and big games. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm saying that I'm tricking myself into 
putting myself in the same position for like the 20th time with Josh Allen. <laughs> so well, remember, I still think Buffalo is going to find a way to make the playoffs. Remember I said that last week, they, they need they, a win this week to make that happen. Like yeah. that's a must. Well, I think they need to go four and one down the stretch. So yeah. So if they don't win this week yet, I think they have to run the table. It's that, it's that type of game. They can't like, they can compete with anybody. You're right. I mean, they, they fall short at the end a little bit, but they'll definitely hang around. One and a half, though, you're basically just picking, picking a money line. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would, rec- I would recommend that to betters out there. Where if you're dealing with just like a one point spread or something like that, don't uh, don't beat around the bush. Just take the money line here. Don't worry about like a missed extra point or something like that here or there. So you would lean Buffalo money line. Okay, actually, I should clarify that when you have the underdog and you have a chance to take a to take like a point or point and a half, I would take Buffalo just in case there is a mixed extra point. Like you you want it to be in that in their favor. I was saying that like if you're if you're a Chiefs better this weekend, don't bother taking minus one and a half. Just, just take, take money, money line. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, last game. This one's gonna again have game of the year potential. Eagles Cowboys. We saw a classic the first time these two teams met up. Dallas is playing at home where they're undefeated this season and they're favored by three and a half points, three and a half. I feel like Dallas wins three and a half is a little much. Um, I, I don't feel quite as strongly about this line as I would have like last week. Cause I was really high on the Eagles to cover that, that spread against, uh, the Niners and they definitely did not. Maybe they they bounce back and they have a big win here against the divisional rival, but I, I think with the gut punch of last week, it maybe bleeds a little bit into this week as well. And, and the Cowboys cover this game. You know what? I actually kind of I look at the result from last week with Philadelphia and I draw a little bit of a different conclusion. First of all, I don't know if I really um touched on this or emphasize this when we talked about the Eagles Niners game, but I think that that game told us more about just how good San Francisco was than like it should, that game, even though it was a blowout, shouldn't knock down our opinion of Philly. Um, so that's why I look at that. And I think that you're going to catch an Eagles team this week. That's going to be mean, hungry and pissed off. And I don't think that that's a, that's a good spot for Dallas to catch them in. The fact that you're getting the half number in your favor with Philadelphia here really um, pushes me to take the Eagles, even on the road here. I, I like when you get the half number in your favor on a significant number, like a three or a seven or something like that in football. That's always something to look for. I will take the Eagles plus three and a half to be safe in this one. Although I, I do think that they can win this game outright. I think that they're going to come in royally pissed off against Dallas here. Okay. I'm excited for that game. I'm excited for that. By the way, um, our gentleman's agreement from last week went my way. I did remember. You're gonna bring it up in the, during the college segment. And we got by it. I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm off the hook here. <laughs> no, I, I didn't forget. I didn't forget. I just forgot earlier. Um, I'll Venmo request you later. Don't worry about it. Go ahead, Patrick. You earned it. Hell of a job. To the, hell of a job. The Huskies. They certainly outplayed played Oregon in that one. I was wrong. You were right. Don't get used to me saying that. But that was the case. Do you want to have a chance to uh, get your money back with either of the games we just mentioned? Sure. 
Sure. Do I get to pick or do you get to pick because you you won the last one? I'll pick this one. I'll pick this okay. one. Okay. All right. I think that that's fair since since you won our, our previous wager. So I will give you an opportunity to get the money back in this game. Um, with the uh, – I'm going to go uh, – you know what? Screw it. Let's go with this Philly-Dallas game. Yeah, I know because I think that's the game you would pick. I'll go with it too because I feel pretty confident Dallas is going to win and that they'll cover. Um, so I'll take Dallas three and a half and you're taking the other side. Yep, I'll take Philly plus three and a half. Fair enough. Handshake over. Handshake. There we are here. All right. Gentlemen's agreement. Perfect. I can't, I can't go 0 and 2, man. I got to win this one. <laughs> you go birds. To. You got to. Um, Real quick, some some MVP odds. We we teased a little bit earlier. Dak and Purdy both at three plus three hundred even. Um, it's crazy that they they are like identical odds, actually, like literally identical odds. That's pretty crazy. Uh, Hertz behind at plus three fifty. Mahomes at plus six fifty surprises me that he's at fourth. Like Tua is behind him at plus nine fifty. Lamar is plus nine fifty. Stroud isn't even in the top like eight. Um, I think Hill was seventh and McCaffrey was eighth, if I'm not mistaken. But those guys are both over uh, plus a thousand odds too. Uh, the offensive player of the year odds: Tyreek is favorite at minus two hundred, and and CMC is plus one seventy. So if you're looking to debate those players, that's kind of the award to do it with, not the MVP. Um, it really just depends on. I mean, if if Tyreek keeps doing what he's doing and he stays healthy, he'll win that. But on the MVP side of things. I mean, you're you're essentially betting on which team between the Niners and Cowboys does better down the stretch, right? That's what the award is now. It's the quarterback of the team that does the best or whatever. You would think, basically, it's not quite as simple as, like, uh, well, if the Cowboys go further, Dak will win it, or if the Niners go further, Purdy will win it. I think that there's an understanding among the the industry here that – Purdy's got a little bit more to work with than Dak does. Not that Dak like doesn't have talent around him. CD Lamb's a great, great receiver. But like, let's say, let's say Dallas gets to to the divisional round and loses, and the Niners get to like the NFC Championship round and lose there, and Dallas is like only a round back of where San Fran got. I think that that uh, that would bode well for Dak, like in that situation. I think it would be. A situation where, like, if the Niners got all the way to the Super Bowl and and the Cowboys went out early, like that's where that's where I think he might be able to push it over the edge to Purdy. I think Dak should be a little bit of a favorite over over Brock for the reasons we've talked about already. So I don't think it's as clear cut as just which team goes further, but that will play somewhat of a factor. Yeah, interesting, interesting lines there. I, I'm we're I'm on the same page as you there. Um, I also don't think that taking i think christian mccaffrey for mvp is not not worth the bet i don't think that tyreek for mvp is a crazy bet i i think we threw that out there a few weeks back it's it's big odds and unlikely to happen just because it is a quarterback award but i don't think sprinkling a couple dollars here there is is a bad play he's gonna go over two thousand yards man if he breaks the record he will almost undoubtedly be in that top three to four. But I think he would have to 
like absolutely smash the record and then also come close to breaking the touchdowns record too or something like he would have to do some he would also the, the dolphins would have to get the one seed he would have to break the record and then he would have to come close to he would have to have like a four touchdown game or something like that too i think i wouldn't put it past him i wouldn't either i i wouldn't either no one can cover him man i mean nobody can cover him um, I, I, I'd be interested to see, like, if Dolphins fans, if you pull Dolphins fans out there, he's more valuable they, to that team than Tua is. And Tua, well, that's that's what I'm that's what I was gonna get at. Like, yeah, if, they, if you said, all right, you have to be without one of those two guys the rest of the season. I think that they're saying, all right, well, like, you know, we'll we'll take Mike White in at quarterback over Tua, keep Tyreek. Yeah, because that way you have all the weapons. Yeah. But at the same time, if you don't have anybody to throw it to them, it's like, I don't know. It's it's just a discussion about how valuable the quarterback position is and and whether or not you think Tyreek could have that success with like a league average quarterback, I think. Because if you don't think that. I think he can. I, I think he's quarterback proof. I think he was having success still last year with uh, Skylar Thompson. He was, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't think his numbers popped off. This his numbers definitely didn't pop off the charts like they are this year when when Thompson was in there, and I think Teddy Bridgewater made a couple spot starts for them too. But he did. He was still putting up good numbers, man. You know. Yeah. No, you're right. He he makes. Here's my final point on that. He increases Tua's level of play to a greater amount and magnitude than Tua increases Tyreek's level of play. If that makes right. sense. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> like Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill in this offense would, he might have, he might be on pace for like 2,500 yards. And Tua, if you look like, what's his, like, what's his yardage output this year? I got to look. That he's up. up there. He's, um, I want to I know say he's, I know he's among the, that's, I know he's among the league. He's leaders. third in the league right now. He's third. So Stroud is first, Howell is second, and then Tua is third. And Tua's like 80 yards behind Stroud, basically. Yeah. So Tua's got like 3,400 some yards right now. Like, I I definitely think that um, Tyreek is generating somewhere. I'll throw out a number. I would say like close to like at least 800 yards more. Of passing yards output for two of his total stats this year than like an average number one receiver or something like at least like 800 yards more he has for more like, uh, he has more yeah, receiving yards than like six teams do as a whole i think it's five yeah. teams but that's ridiculous at this point in the season that's ridiculous yeah. uh moving on to some fantasy stuff Man, the best time of the year. If you're looking back at some draft decisions you made, you're either feeling great or feeling terrible about them. You're either in playoff position or you're not. Um, some leagues are beginning their playoffs this week. Ours is. So the fantasy awards were given out this week. You know them. You love them at this point. We're going to start with our Put Me In Coach Award. Um, this highlights some players that, most um, fantasy players did not have in their lineups for one reason or another. Um, highlighting some some lesser known guys or some guys that you might want to add 
for next week's games. Geno Smith is going to be is going to be our first mention here with um 31.6 fantasy points. He's rostered in just over half uh, leagues per ESPN fantasy, and he's only started in just over 15% of leagues. So if you had Geno Smith um, in your lineup this past week, certainly if you paired him up with DK Metcalf, uh, you had one hell of a weekend. But credit to Geno, man, and, and fantasy managers might think twice maybe about leaving him on their bench going forward. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm not too surprised that it wasn't like a unanimous uh, start with him or start percentage with him across across leagues with some of the struggles that we've seen him have throughout the course of the year. But let's let's keep in mind, this was a 30 plus touchdown guy last year. We saw a little bit of a glimpse of that uh, in that game against Dallas. We'll see if he can replicate that or um, do something pretty close to it for the remaining weeks in the fantasy season as a lot of leagues are in the fantasy playoffs or just about honorable mention for the quarterback position. Uh, we talked about him earlier in the podcast, Mr. Matthew Stafford uh, last week had 22.96 points in standard leagues rostered in a third of ESPN's leagues. And he's only started in 11 and a half percent of leagues um, had a pretty good outing last time. Uh, you think that if the Rams are going to keep having success down the stretch here, they're going to have to rely on that passing offense. The Rams have a very aggressive passing offense. They like to throw it, like to sling the rock. Uh, Stafford has been quoted as saying such. So if you're if you're short a quarterback, which a decent amount of you could be at this point in the year, and you haven't looked at Stafford yet, definitely do so. Um, moving on to the flex position. Chuba Hubbard, back-to-back weeks getting this award shout out to Chuba, man, the pride of Charlotte right now, 25.4 points. It's rostered in 58.9% of leagues, which went up a little bit. And he was only started in 31.8% of leagues last week. He had 25.4 points. I think for running backs, that was like the third or fourth most, if I'm not mistaken, it was definitely up there. Yeah, man. Now this is, uh, uh is this the second week in a, in a row he's won this award? I know he yeah. won an award last week for us second as well. Second week in a row. Fifth highest, um, score amongst running backs last week, actually. And Tampa Bay is a pretty good, pretty good rush defense as well. So, uh, credit to him. He seems to have pretty much taken that rollover from Miles Sanders, uh, younger back. Uh, don't have too much else to say other than the fact that uh, hopefully he's a shot in the arm for anybody who's uh, held on to him throughout the year, stashed him, done whatever they needed to uh, in a, in a year or season now where we thought maybe Adam Thielen was the the one guy that you could have with Kyle in the Carolina offense and that you could start on your fantasy rosters. That clearly has not been the case over the past couple of weeks. Chuba stepped up and and said, Hey, I can be, I can be this one guy, this one reason that you NFL fans out there uh, can watch Carolina Panthers games. Good for Hubbard. Our other flex uh, position for the put me in coach award is going to be none other than Alec Pierce of the Indianapolis Colts, 19 and a half points last week in our league. Um, He's rostered in 2.4% of leagues and he started in less than less than 1% of leagues. So if you, for whatever reason, started Alec Pierce in your fantasy league last year. One, I am not envious of your wide receiver room. Two, fantastic play, my friend. Fantastic play. It worked out for you last week. Yeah, um, the large majority of those people are just so injured that they had no other choice. And probably, or it's just a, 
Or it's a super deep league. Like you start three receivers or something crazy like that. Yeah. That's crazy to think about. Um, our discount double check award. We're going to stick with the Colts, but we're going to highlight a different receiver here. Gardner Minshew and Michael Pittman. Um, they've been a steady and reliable connection most of the year and not one that I think most fantasy managers would look to right away, which is why I picked them for this award. I could have picked Pierce, but with Pierce being in so few lineups, I, I felt like it was unlikely that people actually stacked him with Minshew. So Pittman now he's got five straight games with eight or more catches. That's certainly going to lead to points, especially if you have Minshew in your lineup as well. You're kind of relying a little bit on home run balls and touchdowns with Minshew, which unsettles me slightly, but Pittman is one of the more reliable pass catchers in the league. He's going to generate the highest target share on that team week after week. There's no doubt about it, pretty much regardless of who they play. Um, 44.68 combined points between that duo last week. That's our first discount double check award winner. Yeah, big thing with Michael Pittman is one of the points that you said at the end there is, is the targets. His targets in his last three games, 12, 13, 16. Even if you go back uh, to week eight, he had 13 there. So four of the past five weeks that he's played in, he has had double-digit targets. That is, that's massive for a receiver. I, I think that that is one of the most important stats to look at for a fantasy manager that not – everybody considers right off the right off the bat. I mean, how much is the quarterback looking your way? Minshew loves throwing to Pittman, like you said. Wide receiver 12 in our league. So if you're in a 12-man league, he's a wide receiver one, which definitely not the first name you would think of when you when you list the wide receiver ones in fantasy this year. Great year for him. He's about to go over a thousand yards as well. Good, good call there on the discount double stack. Our other discount double stack award winner, um Paying homage to the uh, the 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 man that this award is named after, we're we're staying in Green Bay for this. Jordan Love and uh, Christian Watson, I believe we gave this to Love and and Jaden Reed at one point this year. So for it to fall into Jordan Love's lap again, if he keeps doing this, we might have to leave him out of the discount double stack award running, but. 47.78 combined points and win against the Chiefs last week. Um, Watson is starting to to generate some more plays in fantasy leagues. So is Love. And I think that's that's a situation where you can't necessarily rely on Love and whoever the receiver is because he likes to spread the ball around. And it seems like each week it's a different receiver that gets highlighted. But Watson might be a slight, slight favorite target of his. It's just not by much. Um, nevertheless, though, congrats to our discount double stack award winner, Jordan Love, Christian Watson of the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, I think Jordan Love's definitely capable of getting multiple guys involved, like you said, but I think Watson is, is the favorite target. I thought, like I said earlier, Watson emerged as the favorite target of Aaron Rodgers last year. He's dealt with some injuries this year. I'm really interested to see where Watson is going to fall in next year's fantasy drafts if he continues to stack up these solid performances through the, the rest of the course of this year. I mean, also considering the fact of how much better Jordan Love has gotten throughout the year, it's just it's an interesting thing I'm going to start thinking about already since most of my fantasy teams are eliminated. But 
it'll be interesting to see where draft boards will have Watson fall. He's really come on strong the last couple of weeks. I don't think it's a coincidence that Love is playing better with Watson back and healthy in that Green Bay lineup. Moving on to our next award. Uh, personally, one of my favorites, this is the Elvis Impersonator Award. Oh, oh. Uh, Jake Browning, Mr. Joe Burrow, filling in for Joe Cool himself this week and doing his best impersonation of the All-Pro quarterback. Uh, 28.16 fantasy points in a win against the Jaguars in overtime. A lot, a lot of passes in this game. They were really trying to um, emphasize Browning's success, and he had success. So credit to Browning. Will we continue to see him succeed in that offense going forward? Who knows? Time will tell. But uh, I think it's not without, not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to give a bit of credit to Zach Taylor, coach of the Cincinnati Bengals here, for being content and letting Browning open it up, throwing the ball over 30 times, um, and just kind of letting him go out there and sling it as well. I don't think that that, that fact should be ignored. They had a confidence game plan drawn up. Yeah, they had a pretty good game plan drawn up. I mean, Jacksonville's been exploited in the past game this year, and they clearly weren't afraid to uh, to kind of let Browning cook. This is a great one, man, because he really did do a Joe Burrow impression here with his stat line. Um, how good he looked. And I know uh, Wade Biltoff in our fantasy football league is going to be relying on Jake Browning in his fantasy football playoff matchup against Brendan Hurtfeld over on the club Garnet side this week. So monumental day for Jake Browning as he gets his first ever playoff fantasy football start. So way to look for the Elvis Presley impersonations to continue in the next week. Good call here on your part. Really good call. I thought about it. I thought about picking him up as well. I'll be honest, but I. Well, it's it's a really good call for the award too, just just because like this is it was a stat line that Burrow would have, and and Browning this came out of nowhere too. So this is a a great impersonation award. I I don't know, man. I don't know if it'll continue week in and week out, but it's fun right now while it lasts. I know that a lot of people are going to be buying into the Jake Browning hype. If he keeps it up, um, you might see exhibits in vegas where where jake browning is pretending to be joe burrow <laughs> um, might see him in cincinnati too yeah you never know um next up we're gonna have a little bit of a mood switch this is if this is not quite of um an ideal award to win if if you're a fantasy major fantasy player or an nfl player for that matter it means you had a rough week um first of all i'm gonna highlight a guy who's been burning managers all year it's austin eckler this was a guy who if you drafted him this year you probably drafted him in the first rounds more likely maybe the second round if he if he slipped a little bit but he had uh 12 and a half more than 12 and a half points less than his expected total for the previous week against the lowly patriots the patriots have been pretty good at stopping the run all year but for the chargers to not even get a touchdown and for Eckler to have the day that he did, um, at 3.7 points in that game, he had 18 yards on 14 carries and two receptions for nine yards. That's a pretty abysmal day against one of the league's worst teams when you're really counting on him to, to be the guy that you drafted early in the season. Yeah, big thing here for, uh, for the Chargers. Uh, Kellen Moore has been the offensive coordinator. Um kind of new philosophy. Uh, Joe Brady left when they were forced. So they don't throw to the running backs as much. 
this year. I think that that's a huge, that was a huge part of Eckler's points and uh, his reasons for success in past years and obviously dealt with some injury concerns uh, earlier in the year as well. I think it's all kind of compiled um, onto, onto what has been a very, very subpar season for, for where fantasy managers drafted him. Uh, tough matchup this week, but that's that's no excuse. Eckler's supposed to be a blue blood, no doubter, perform every time you put him in the lineup. And uh, he probably let a lot of fantasy managers down this week who who needed him to to get a win for a, for a playoff push. So that's tough. It's a bad spot to to let your let your team down. Well, at least he had some points because our next guy didn't have any. Um, Terry McLaurin, I'm looking at you. Zero points, none, goose egg, just like nothing, not a catch, not a yard, not a carry, not a touch. He got paid. He he was in the game, like he played, but he had three targets, no catches against the Miami defense. Jalen Ramsey probably just locked him up. If I, if I had to go back and look at the tape, I would guess going into it, that's what happened. But it's, you can't. As a flex player, you can't really do worse than no points unless you do something catastrophic on the field. So he's our winner for the You Let the Whole Team Down Award. Congratulations, Terry McLaurin. Uh, you're this week's lovable loser. Dude, I mean, he's had a subpar year, and there are still, like, the Washington offense is still throwing the ball a ton. So Howell is I mean, second in the league in, in passing yards. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how how is a stat like this happening? Like, I'm pretty sure Curtis Samuel went off in this game, too. Like, he's had a couple good weeks in a row randomly. Um, I don't know. I've always, I felt, I've always felt for Terry McLaurin because he's never been in a great situation. But, yeah, he, he's not among the elite receivers, and I'm – He's burned fantasy managers here. I'm interested to see how far he's going to fall on draft boards for uh, for next year because I think it's been a couple couple subpar years in a row. I actually think he's a very viable trade target for the commanders in the offseason. I I totally see them flipping him for somebody unless they uh like totally revamp their roster in the offseason. Another NFL team to like buy into the fact like hey this is a really talented guy he's just never had a ton. Right around him, never had like a like a stud quarterback. Exactly. Put him That's in Kansas good. City. That'd be an interesting one. He'd perform in Kansas City probably. That'd be interesting. Bring him to New England. Pat's need a receiver. Oh, that'd be the death of his career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. Um, oh, you're just so you're so beaten down, Patrick. <laughs> it's, it's 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 funny, but like at the same time, I feel for you. <laughs> I'm hoping that we lose every week, and we do. And it still continues to disappoint me. You understand how bad you have to be as an NFL team to expect and hope for your team to lose. And they still let you down in the process of accomplishing those things. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like you can root against your team to win because you know, it's going to be good in the long haul for draft picks. But like at the end of the day, you only get to watch your team play once a week and it still sucks to go out and see them suck for 60 minutes. I, I get it. I believe me. I do. My hot take is that if, Belichick pulls it off and the Pats get the number one pick. He should be coach of the year. That's my hot take. Uh, well, that that is quite steaming hot. Because... Hey, man, you <laughs> some of the games he's managed to lose the master class at the end of that game against the Giants was like unbeatable. You can't those you can't top that. I, it's, he's pulling the strings, man. You think he told your kicker to pull it left? Yes. 
No, he just, <laughs> no, what he did was he traded one of the most efficient, or he released one of the most efficient kickers in football over the last couple of years in Nick Folk, and then drafted statistically the worst kicker in the NFL this year with a fourth round pick to take his place. Well, I thought with Folk, it was like a mutual, like Folk just wanted to be a little bit closer to his family. I think he had family in the Tennessee area and there was like kind of a mutual understanding like that. Hey, you can go do that. And a mutual understanding that this team was going to suck. And Belichick felt too good about Nick Folk as a person to have him stick around for it. He said, go to this other team, go to my buddy, Mike Brable, help him win a few football games. Cause we're not going to win any this year. That's what happened. That's been a good fantasy kicker over the past couple of years. He has, man. I, uh, I think he was a kicker one like a year or two ago. I think it was two two years ago. I think he was the kicker one. Wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. Um, anyways, our last award for fantasy football. It's the MVP of the week, man. Um, we had a few guys in the running for this. Uh, Kyron Williams had a really great week. He's an honorable mention here. Um, he was over 30 points, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we also had – no, Kyron Williams uh, was not over 30 points. My apologies. Uh, Derek Henry was up there, though. Uh, we did have Tyreek Hill in that 30-plus point mark um, as an honorable mention, but he missed the cut. Debo Samuel is going to be our first name mentioned here with 35.8 fantasy points um more than 21 points over his expected total for the week had a hell of a game in that crucial win against philly but dk metcalf is going to take on the mvp of the week honors um 36.4 fantasy points last week he was only projected uh to have about 12 he was plus 23.2 over expected which was the highest um point total over expected of the week so that's why he gets the award congrats dk metcalf um, I'm sure he's saying something to us right now, but we can't hear him because it's in sign language. Congrats, DK. You're this week's MVP in fantasy football. Well earned, well deserved. Um, probably got a lot, lot of fantasy teams out to a to a rocking start. You know, going on Thursday, got them got them feeling good right off the bat. I'm sure that that energy permeated to the rest of his fantasy teammates out there. This is a very very deserving. Uh, very deserving award to him, especially because he was making um, a lot of the plays and run after catching that first touchdown. He he took that slant basically to the house. Um, dude, he's so good, man. It, it's it's a lot of fun to watch DK play, and uh, a lot of weapons in that Seattle offense, especially receiving. You know, when they drafted Smith and Jigba, I think that there was a lot of concern for for him and Lockett about you know how things would be divvied up, who would be the dominant guy. There's no doubt. There's no doubt who the number one is in Seattle. While they do have a lot of weapons to throw the ball to, it is DeKalen Metcalf, the top top dog there. DeKalen. Hmm, I would that's not. That's his name. That's that's what DK stands for. I would not have um, put my money on that. Nice call. Um, yeah. Some last fantasy football things that we'll touch on. Has there been a bigger disappointment in the league this, this year than than Austin Eckler in terms of fantasy output? Like, there are some other guys that were kind of helped up hyped up i don't feel like kelsey we can really put into this conversation because he's still like a top five tight end i think and he's still like performing pretty well garrett wilson it's not all his fault 
a lot of that has to do with Aaron Rodgers, right? Yeah. I, if there's a guy that comes to mind, you know, if we're talking like first round picks exclusively, like I think Cooper Cup's probably in that discussion for as disappointing or maybe even more so disappointing than Eckler just because yes, he's dealt with some injuries this year, but him and Stafford, you know, haven't always been on the same page. And, it's like when he you know, has like played, he hasn't, said, hasn't been great. Yeah. And like, he, he might be still trying to play through some injury and everything like that. You alluded to it, to it earlier. If there, the, the one difference, I guess you could say with Cooper cup though, and it all depends on when you drafted because he remember that hamstring got reaggravated right around draft season. And then that put, put him on the IR to kick things off. The one thing with Cooper Cup is like you knew that the injury thing was a little bit of a concern coming in. So that was a calculated risk you had to take. Austin Eckler, it's just been it's just been disappointing. You know, I mean, he did deal with injury himself, but even when he's been back, the output just hasn't been there. And I don't know. Those are two guys that you were probably taking in the first round that just, you know, have has really probably caused your fantasy season to backfire. There's an old saying in fantasy that I don't know how old it is, but it's this thing I go by where you can't win your draft in the first round, but you can lose it. Where if you draft a guy like, like an Eckler or a cup this year and you know, you just kind of screw yourself because now you, you passed on your first opportunity to get a real stud player. And neither of those guys turned out to be one this year. Uh, you just put yourself in a, in a tough hole. Those are the two guys I think that most fantasy managers are really, really disappointed with for this year first round wise at least you could also throw uh Bijan in there probably I I stayed away from him purposefully around draft season in all my leagues because I feel like the rookie running backs that everybody hypes up almost never work out the way people expect them to so at this point I've just learned to stay away from them like I feel like every year there's some exciting rookie running back that comes in that will make some big plays during the year and have some good games, but they just, the rookies are very rarely the bell cow of an offense, even if they are obviously the best guy in the running back room for whatever reason, it just seems like um, because of the, the nature of short careers of running backs, NFL coaches like to kind of phase them in a little bit in the early parts of their career I'm sure there's a few guys you could look at as exceptions to that but that's why I stayed around stayed away from Bijan um I'm sure there will be another running back next year that's some hyped up first round pick that people will hype up and I'll stay away from that guy too yeah Bijan's starting to come on uh here in recent weeks I, I think things been much better is is uh his snap share and his uh, his carry share has been a little bit better, but yeah, he hasn't justified his first round pick. With Bijan, I completely agree with what you were saying about the rookie running back thing. They they for some reason they just don't completely get thrust into full duty right away. There's only really two guys that come to mind that have um, been exceptions to that rule. Like you said, Zeke was and Saquon um, both had really good rookie years but they just kind of got the full workload but other than that like we're seeing Jameer Gibbs like we talked about struggle to get uh, a full workload and um, you know Bijan's been battling with Tyler Alger for some reason throughout the course of this year with Robinson it's a classic drafting a guy at his ceiling which 
is always a risky play in fantasy. Like if you're going to take him in the first round that you are drafting him for what his absolute best scenario could be. Given the fact that Atlanta is not a super explosive offense and you know, the fact that he might, he was dealing with some other competition in the backfield. It's a huge risk when you draft like that. Um, Just like if you draft him there in that spot, everything needs to go right for him to justify being taken in that like late first round level or tier, like when he was typically going around draft season, it's risky business. Our last fantasy topic that we're going to hit, we actually have a a listener submitted fantasy play. They're looking for some advice here. So Kamish, I'm going to open this up to you. I'm going to put some input in here as well. They're looking at three different running backs here in a non PPR league. They need to start two of them. The running backs are Keaton Mitchell, Jalen Warren, and Devin Singletary. Okay. Keaton Mitchell, I would definitely have in the lineup. Um, I think that his, his snap share has increased significantly in the past couple of weeks. I know they were on by last week. Um, I don't really see either of these guys like touchdowns are the huge thing in this one. I don't see either of these guys as like huge touchdown guys. Um, well, if Najee think, is out this week, then Warren's going to be getting like 80% of the touches, right? Right. Okay. So we should stipulate that. Yes. If Najee's out, Jalen Warren should definitely be the play, but if Najee is still in and it's the normal breakdown, Najee's going to get the goal line carries here. And I just don't think the fact that it's, you said it's non PPR, right? So that, that hurts some of, uh, that like doesn't a lot help. Of yeah. That doesn't help Warren who does a lot of good work in the passing game as well. Coupled with the fact that new England is, um, a tough defense and that this is going to be a super low scoring game. Who does Houston play this week? Can you remind me? Uh, Houston this week plays who does Houston play? Uh, Houston plays the Jets, so an equally tough matchup for running back there, I would say. Yeah, but the Jets are a little are, are much better defense against the pass. Um, they're a better pass defense. Most more teams have to run. I'm going to lean slightly to. I'm going to say definitely get Keith Mitchell in the lineup. I think that that's your best chance for a boom as well, just with how explosive he is on the ground and the Ravens um, have the best rushing offense of the of the running backs that you mentioned and then if Najee's not playing or not if Najee is playing given that this is not a PPR league I'd give Singletary a slight slight edge that hurts saying that because Jalen Warren's my guy what do you think I think I would I think I might I think Warren would probably be in either way for me to be honest even if Najee's healthy because I feel like um, with the quarterback situation the Steelers could be working with, they might have more opportunities for like screen passes or little flares or something like that for Warren to get involved in the game. Even if it's a non-PPR league, that's still like a half point per yeah, catch. Yards. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and those no, well, receiving yards, even, yeah. Yeah, but you're just getting the receiving yard points, yeah. Um, But those can add up. And, and I – I would say he's a more versatile back. So that's why I would have him in there. And and I would bet that Najee's touches go down slightly with this being a short week and him being on the injury report today as of Wednesday. Um, 
So I would say that's a pretty safe play. Keaton Mitchell, I am not quite as high on only because I feel like week to week with the Ravens, it's like a, it's like a revolving door of who's going to get the ball in certain situations. And their running backs are really touchdown dependent for the most part. Mitchell's been the one that actually isn't. I mean, he's had a couple of touchdowns, but he's been like a spark plug, big play kind of guy that they bring in every once in a while. Last week, the last game that they had, they had a bye week last week, the last game that they had, um, Edwards hardly got the ball at all. And uh, Mitchell did quite a bit, if I'm not mistaken. So Yeah, against the Chargers. That would be, it's really just a matter of um, if you feel like that trend will continue or not. Because Singletary has had some big big games for the Texans. Um, he had a couple at least uh, earlier in the month, whereas the last couple of games he he's had have not been so great. So I would say probably lean more towards the Jets, I think, or towards um, Singletary. I think there's a higher likelihood that the Ravens will be needing to pass the ball and try to put up points to match the Rams versus the, I think it's just as likely that the Ravens are trying to match the Rams shot for shot with the passing game than it is that the Texans go up on the Jets and they're just trying to run the clock out and they're feeding Singletary for like a full quarter or something. So I would go Singletary and uh, Warren is who I would go with. Okay. And I would go Singletary and Mitchell with the stipulation that if, uh, if Najee is out or news comes out that he's limited, I would flip that to Mitchell and Warren. So interesting. We'll see. So we both have, we both have Singletary as of right now. Yeah. And then, <laughs> no faith in well, your Steelers, that, man. No faith. I just, I, dude, I, I, this is not a game I think that you want to have fantasy players in. Like, I think Warren, no, it's not. Could get there on Warren could get there on volume, but with this not being a PPR league, I think that that hurts as well. Like I said, and it's just like, like, what's the best I think that, like, what's the best you could be hoping for for Warren, in my opinion, like eight to 10 points? Because I don't think he's going to find the end zone, personally. You would have to hope that he has, like, a couple of big plays in the passing game and then maybe gets in the end zone. Or that Najee is hurt. Or maybe, like, breaks a pitch like he did against Cleveland. I I just think that, like, a boom potential is way more likely with Mitchell. Mm. But I think better offense. I think Warren is the kind of back that has hurt the Patriots more this year. Whereas Najee is like the Patriots are tough to beat when you're just grounding and pounding it. Like Warren has that extra element in his game that the Pats struggle with sometimes. So I I think he's a good player either way this week, legitimately, Um, especially with the. Yeah. I mean, I do love the guy. I just, our offense is not in a good spot. So. Hey, this is your, this is your opportunity to make up for it. You might only need seven points to win or like four or less, really just one, I guess, but Hey, um, but a two nothing final first one to a safety. Some other news that that's dropped, uh, since we started recording, um, in the baseball world, Juan Soto has been traded to the Yankees officially. Ugh, really? Yeah. Officially, uh, Trent Grisham, a couple of prospects in that package, uh, so Trent Grisham and Soto are going to the Yankees. It looks like the Yankees are sending back Michael King um, and then some other 
uh, prospects as well. But yeah, man, they're going to have Aaron Judge and Juan Soto and Giancarlo Stanton all in the same lineup. Three guys who at the end of their careers could very well all have like just insane stats. Those are three guys that could have like 550 plus homers. <laughs> like that's that's pretty un- unreal. Yeah, this oh man. You know, being a fan of a small market ball club and then I see what uh what a Yankee like middle of the order looks like. It's like how can you compete with that? Yeah. They're they're getting antsy in New York. I mean, you know, it's been since 2009 since they won a World Series and they it didn't even make the playoffs last year. So like it's panic in the streets there. Um World Series are bust for them with this move. It kind of feels like it because I don't think Soto's right? gonna yeah. I don't think Soto will stay there after this year. He's got a one year deal. He's probably gonna test the open market next year. And I don't think he'll stay there. So they're I really think this is like them putting all their chips in for this season. Legitimately, that's what it feels like. I'd have to think that New York would at least go after him though, you know, tenure and offer. Yeah. yeah, he will. I just don't think they will. I just don't think he'll stay. We'll see. Trent Grisham's not that bad of a player either. Nice, nice little throw in there as well for some depth. Yeah, he will be um he'll be a guy that can they can have out there in defensive situations and is sort of like I would assume they use him as like a light version of Verdugo, sort of sort of he's he's a little bit better defensively. Verdugo had some great defensive stats last year. Um but yeah. Uh, that for me now, you see me, you see my beanie. This is actually a recruiting pitch for Yoshinobu uh, Yamamoto and Shohei Otani. Come to Boston, boys. Come to Boston. You want to face the best hitters? You got the chance right now. Let's go, baby. Come on. Oh, all right. Pittsburgh's a very easy town to play in. The fans are, are laid back, easy going. I think Pittsburgh would be a nice place to come play. We have the best backdrop. <laughs> And all the baseball got the river out in right field. Our stadium is pretty. Come play for us. <laughs> hey, dude, the, the Pirates made a move, you know, no one talking about yesterday. We traded for Marco Gonzalez. Who was a okay. two-time salary dump. <laughs> dude, Marco Marco Gonzalez. All right. Like he'll be I your can't. like third best. It'll be one he'll of your be, better. Pitches. Well, yeah, and our, our rotation's beat up, but he's gonna be like our number three, <laughs> number four. Hey, shout out Colin Holderman, man. That's uh Columbia Firefly legend, um, Pittsburgh Pirate. Shout out Colin, Colin Holderman. Colin, if you're listening, we need you on the show, man. Yeah, actually, I should reach out to him. I should reach out. He might. He, he's a guy that might do something like that. We'll see. Um, yeah. Any other news notes? Anything else you want to hit on? No, nah, man, we touched on it pretty, uh, pretty comprehensively. Uh... Today, I do want to have one note out there to our our betters. We've talked a lot about gambling during the during the podcast here. I do not have a best bet, um, especially with college football uh, winding down. But I do want to make one note out there to people that are going to be betting on bowl games that are upcoming during this bowl season, whether it be like in college football um, playoffs or just you know your random Duke's Mayo Bowl. I implore you to. Do research about who is opting out of playing in these games. As we get to this point in the season, with this being the final game for some guys declaring for the NFL draft, there are going to be a lot of guys that are going to opt out of the game. Transfer portal, guys that are transferring are going to opt out as well, or they're just not going to be on the team anymore. Do your research. Don't just look at a line 
and place a bet. See who's actually playing in the game for the respective teams. That's all I want to say. I think that that's important to consider this time of the year uh, for college football bowl season. I'm absolutely shocked the Pat Steelers under was not your best bet of the week. 30 and a half. There's no way those teams com- combined to score more than 30 points. There's no yeah. way. Yeah, that's a pretty good There's one. There's no I, way. I, I let's throw that one in there. I'd be remiss if I didn't throw it. Take an alternate total, dude. I don't think they get to 20. The under in Patriots games is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and three. Bet the under. <laughs> it's yeah, the lowest under. lowest over under total in NFL history. 30 and a half. Bet the under. We did this with Iowa. I'm riding it now, man. You did it with the Hawkeyes. I'm doing it with my Patriots. We suck. We can't score points. The end zone is just as foreign to us as anything that's foreign, man. Bet the under in Patriots games. You'll make money. Yeah, and uh, do it like soon because I bet the um, this is going to be one of the rare situations where the public's actually on the under because they know how bad these teams are, and I think that that line will keep dropping. I think it's already dropped like a point or point or two since it, it came out. I think it opened around 32, and now it's like at 30. So get, wanna, it, get it soon. If you want to put in a, a sizable amount for the both of us, I will I will ride that with you. Just let me know. <laughs> we'll talk tomorrow. We'll talk tomorrow. We'll, we'll talk. You. We'll talk. Mm-hmm. I don't think either of us are going to enjoy watching that game, but we're both going to be watching it. <laughs> no, I, I, I hate that I have to watch it, but. Oh, uh, God. Paul, uh, I'm going to be so sad tomorrow, but if I don't even want to entertain the possibility of my team uh, winning knock on wood. Cause if somehow they pull it off, you might, I, I might have to make sure you're okay. <laughs> uh, if they lose tomorrow, you're, you'll be at the Steelers office calling for Tomlin's head. Well, you know what? If they lose tomorrow, uh, we've already talked enough about the Tomlin thing, but if they lose tomorrow, I like, then maybe they're actually, yeah, like you said, there there would be like an actual understanding that change needs to be made across the board. But we'll deal with that when it comes. I hope I hope they find a way to win. Yeah, that's what I was saying about Staley in that game. That if the if the Chargers lost, he wouldn't make the trip back to LA. But they pulled it out. So you're probably right. Good you're for probably him. right about that. Yeah, they 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 were very lucky. They got out of there by the skin of their teeth. Um, it's been a juicy podcast. We've covered a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. Um, it's a pleasure. Um, I will do my best to represent the fifth and long podcast. Well, in the fantasy playoffs going forward. And, uh, hopefully when we reconvene next week, I'm still in it. And, um, we can have that maybe to, to talk about a little bit as well as, uh, some more, uh, sports talk also. So. Patrick, good luck to you. Congratulations on making the playoffs for the first time in league history. Well done. It's been a good season for you. I wish I could be there to join you, but I cannot. Um, It's been a pleasure as always. Yeah, we have talked about a ton of stuff. Hope our listeners enjoy. Yeah, you you guys are lucky. Paul and I don't have any other Wednesday night plans. That's for sure. (laughs) Nope. Um, Just talking sports. Just Just a casual sports nerd out here. Kamish, man, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for hopping on. We'll see you next week. Go Steelers. Steelers, man. Make it easy to everybody out there. All right. Have a great night, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Fifth and Long Pod. We'll see you again next week.